Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's just exactly 8 o'clock and we're here in the UK getting ready for a very exciting edition of the programme with some special guests to come uh, later on. Uh, Apologies for absence, for absence have come in uh, some very early ones. Haven't got time to go through uh, all of them tonight. But I did receive one from somebody who is scouting a possible WEC event. Uh, that was possibly the most interesting one that I've had uh, this week. Neil Bourne, great roads uh, at the moment. Uh, he said uh, he was cut around the Gorge of Verdun. Uh, possibility of the roads at the Gorge de Verdun for a uh, possible WEC. I have no more information on that. Which, which country is the Gorge de Verdun in? Well, I'm, I'm guessing that's Belgium. Belgium already has a WEC event, surely. Well, um, let's introduce Nick Damon, who's our geography expert. Are you sure it's WEC, not WRC? Well, you see, that's, I did say that. That does seem more likely. It's, it's, um, Belgium's light rallying. There we are. That's my knowledge of, of there. There we are. Verdun Gorge. France is looking for a new it's home It's in southeastern France. Yeah, France is looking for a new home for its uh, WRC round, of course. Right. Is that home that where, where Sebastian Loeb doesn't live? Ah, no, it depends whether it's well, how we're spelling it. Verdun, of course. Well, it's one like Italy or something. Goes to Verdun, and that's Verdun. So, mm, well, maybe he spelled it wrong, I don't know. Uh, Neil won't be able well, to answer us in the show. Well, if you spelled W-E-C or W-R-C wrongly, then uh, you can't True. trust the spelling of Verdun either. When you're listening to this on podcast, Neil, we need more information is basically what I'm going to say. Or any information, actually. Yes, because frankly, I've just wasted two minutes at the top of the show um, because I was vaguely interested in what you said and now I've realised it makes no sense at all. So Could it be in Mexico? Could it be Jorge de Verdun? (laughs) Jorge. Jorge de Verdun. I used to go to school with uh, with you, didn't you? No, I I used to go to school with Gary Baldwin. So the the first couple... The first couple of uh, the first couple of minutes of the program have been a complete waste of time. So let's continue in the same vein. 180 minutes to go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's series ten, episode twenty nine. This one. Now that may confuse some of you because we did have a show last week, but that was a special, and in Tim World, that <laughs> didn't count as twenty nine. So it is twenty nine this week. Uh, and welcome along. Uh, up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And you've already heard from our geography and Formula One correspondent, well, Marco Polo. Well, I need to have geography in that place. Formula One's going next year. Yes, well, that is very true. More of that 
in a wee while. As I said, we'll have some special guests later. We have to rattle on, though, so shall we have a bit of the news, Jingle? Can I give you another apology for absence? Yes, you may. Uh, that's from Graham Goodwin. Oh, yes. Who uh, yes. is on... on his way back from Germany. Yeah. Uh, uh, where he's been at a WEC test. Most of which he seems to have watched from the balcony of his hotel. With a beer. Well, the hotel does have a view of the circuit. Would it be because he just felt the balcony was the closest thing? And it does serve beer. Would it be he just felt the balcony was the closest thing to a shed they had? Oh no, they've Mm. definitely got sheds. I've been there. (laughs) So, no Graham Goodwin tonight, but uh, we are going to try and get hold of Marshall Pruitt. He's got a very busy day today over there in California. I can my mark, uh, you can't get him, I'm going to do my impression. No, please don't. Hello, and Indeed. That was and, terrible. And uh, in the second hour of the programme, we have to wait to the second hour of the programme tonight to see if we can get Richard Creel out of bed because it's oh it's tomorrow or next week or something do that to him? in Australia. <laughs> I have no, I just we only do it twice a year. A couple of times a year. Abs- absolutely. Uh, right, shall we rock on with a jingle? I uh, just have a bit more Graham Goodman news. Oh, okay, right. Uh, away. Which uh, is good news for everyone. Really? Uh, because having spoken to him uh, at the weekend, dailysportscar.com, mm-hmm. the august website of which he is editor, yes, is planning to enter a team in this year's Midweek Motorsport Christmas Quiz. Really? Yes. What? 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 Mm. So, so the daily sports car going to enter a, a team. Yes. So there's going to be three teams. Then. Three teams. Ooh. Just oh. like quiz two. More cameras then. Right. Um, and is, we is that got anything to do with the fact that this year we've threatened to hold it in, in a pub. public house? And I've even mentioned it to the publican. Yes. We, we we're threatening <laughs> to hold it in the cricket village, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't okay. I wasn't sure whether we were going to do it super live or as live. No, no, oh no, we we'll be super, super live. live. Okay. That's fine. I, I even I'm even going to have an assistant producer with me. Oh heavens! Yeah. So therefore, even though it's of course the middle of July, end of July, we need to find our other. T- is, it, is it still three man teams? Yes, maximum three man teams. Three person, sorry, three person. Or woman. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, that's. Uh, we need to <laughs> we need to have a chat about the format of some of the questions then, and, and how number of points. Yes, and there how will be discuss. there will be an odd one out round. No, that's fine. We just need not to have any questions where it was how many gear changes did Sterling Moss make in 1957 mm. on his way at the World Championship? I'd like to point out that my, my, my uh, broadcast system now has action replays. That could be all sorts of fun, couldn't it? Mm. <laughs> okay, moving on. Now, have we got time for a jingle? All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're starting with Formula One news. Yay! Yay! Oh, that's my shtick. He's nicked my shtick. Our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, joins us tonight. Hello there, everybody. It's nice to have you back. Mm. Uh, we're going to start, actually, with some buying and selling news. Oh, go on, then. What have you bought? Because some people buy things, some yes. people sell them. Yes. And some people, some, when they some sell people them, buy them. them back. That's right. Mm. Are we talking about Lotus? Renault. Slash Renault. Slash Lotus. Yeah. Slash Lotus Renault. Slash Mercedes. Do you know who's most in favour of, of uh, Renault buying Lotus? Red Bull? That's right. Because there'll be a spare Mercedes engine knocking about. Yes. Yes, the Why, why do Renault want to buy a Formula One team? Because Red Bull are making them look awful. Mm. 
by their constant harping and snarking. High maintenance, they were called. I, I, they are, they're high maintenance. Do you think that possibly what's happened is that Christian Horner has kind of got his girlfriend, sorry, his wife, mixed up with Renault? And he's, he's used so much high maintenance from Jerry that he's now being high maintenance to Renault. He's kind of passing on the high maintenance-ness. Really? I was going to suggest exactly the same thing. Mm. In sort of vicariously passing it along. I think you, you know how people do something when they get stressed, just pass that stress on to somebody else? I, I never get stressed. I, <laughs> I think it's the high maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do. I genuinely, let's let's have two facts, right? Renault have been dreadful and Red Bull have treated them dreadfully. I don't think Renault have been as bad as they've been painted. No, they've been as bad. They have been. Really? Awful. Yeah, they, they're, they're only saving grace how awful Honda have been. Think how the Ferrari's been completely reliable, and in fact, that, sorry, I say that there was MGA UK failure at the weekend, but prior to that, they've been almost. Yeah, with both I nearly voted for them in the last ele- in a, uh, election. In UK, yeah. Well, yeah, they've got some weird policies though. They want to cover all their energy, um, yeah. but um, yeah, the so Renault's been unreliable and down on power, whereas the Honda's been unreliable, down on power, really down on power, and thirsty. Mm. The uh, you did say that somebody would get it wrong. In the first year, mm. and Honda getting it wrong isn't a massive surprise, but still getting it wrong the second year. If you think of the, the quantum leap Ferrari made, that Renault made no leap at all. And I understand the Red Bull are frustrated, and I understand they are immature and like kicking people, and I understand. But they've only known success. It's it's the Manchester United effect, isn't it? It's mm. any big successful sports franchise or team where if you're a supporter or a board member of people who just keep winning, mm. then when you're not winning, and when you're not even in with a shout of winning, things look very bad. But but, but if you you know if you're looking from the back of the grid, if if you're um, Marussia and looking at Red Bull, you'd take their season in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean I think the other thing to remember is obviously they won four years in a row with Renault. Mm. And they weren't particularly magnanimous then, because you remember, they were always going, how oh, Renault's down on power, it's so unfair. And they weren't very <laughs> nice when they were winning. Um, and Just know, the youngest team. Though, I do it, feel really? that's why a lot of people aren't particularly enamoured by them in the motor racing world. I don't think anybody's got any sympathy for them whatsoever. No. Yeah, they won. They won. They won. They, won. they, yeah, they, win they were bad winners and worse losers. They graciously. They're appalling yeah. losers. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. They managed okay. to beat their uh, little brother uh, this weekend, though, didn't Just. they? Yeah, they did manage to do that by, by scuppering Carlos Sainz, yeah. Why, why, what else did they uh, achieve Spitted this out. weekend? Uh, a double podium. Yes. Daniel only be- Only because Ricciardo didn't get the drive-through that he deserved for spearing Rosberg. Oh, I mean, it wasn't impressive. Do you know who the driver, do you hear who the driver coach was? No, Driver Stewart. Driver Emmanuel Pirro, I was going, really, Emmanuel? I remember your F1 career. Mm. Um, but mm. they went absolutely crazy on the penalty, didn't they? They even gave Lewis two penalty points. I mean, Pastor Maldonado got more penalties than he did laps. Well, let, let's talk Pastor about Pastor's had... first penalty to start with, shall we? Was yeah, that more, in, was more penalties that, was than that speeding a... in the pit lane, the first one? No, the well, first, the first one was... Oh, was clunking... Uh, who did he hit? Was um, crashing into the Force India. Yes. He crashed the Force India. I thought that was a bit... I, I did bit, as well. I thought that was a racing incident. There. I, I Johnny Palmer uh, thought uh, straight away that Maldonado would get punished for that. I, but I thought, thought it was a racing incident. All three of the obvious contact issues were racing incidents. Yes. What, including the Ricciardo Rosberg one? Ricciardo Rosberg racing incident. I thought Hamilton was a racing incident. 
I thought no um, Hamilton's. No, let me, let, see, me, the, the let, thing, let me explain. Let me okay, explain. Go on. Yes. You've when Pasta kiss of the defense. did what he did, I think it was Perez. I can't remember, but, but I just thought that is people fighting. Perez is trying to go around the outside of a, of a corner which narrows. I didn't think the Pasta moved off line. Right. And they hit each other, and because it was spectacular in the spin, and because it's Pasta, they gave him a, a penalty. And I thought he was really unlucky on that one. Yes, Lewis, I thought so too. Lewis Hamilton. They were going, coming hell for leather. Can we stick to Pasta to start with? No, I'm, 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 I'm on a roll now. Okay. Yeah, they were coming roll. hell for we'll leather down there. The tyres were warm. They just come out of the back of a safety car. Mm-hmm. It's a racing incident. You need to give someone room, and they, you know. And he, and he went wide. And I thought getting the drive through was harsh. And I also thought getting the penalty was harsh. But and then as far as uh, Rosberg and Ricciardo was concerned, well, Ricciardo made a ridiculous move, but that wasn't the problem. Because he'd gone. If it was what actually happened was was Rosberg lost where he was, came across too quickly, and took his nose off. But right, okay, the Hamilton one was Hamilton's mistake, and he tried too hard to defend on the inside, made a mistake, and ran into the guy. Okay, uh, uh, right. Uh, the Ricciardo one, and I, I could see how that could have gone either way, but I could also see why he got the the penalty. Okay, the. Ricciardo one for me is slam dunk a penalty because he comes from too far back and makes a mistake in the first place. If Rosberg actually turned in, he would have nailed him and T-boned him, but he doesn't. He lets him go by. He then drives round on his line and takes his line out the corner. He cannot see Ricciardo rejoining the track. He physically cannot see. It's impossible. But Ricciardo can see Rosberg. And to, st- to stop that incident happening, all Ricciardo had to do was lift off the throttle and go back on again. He didn't. He decided to stay on it and nailed the back of the car. Now, I'm not saying he did it necessarily deliberately, but he could have avoided it. He was the one who had the vision for that, and Rosberg didn't. Rosberg let him make his stupid manoeuvre, which was a mistake, could have ended in an accident in the first place. He traced his normal line round the corner, and Ricciardo, who was coming back onto the track, rejoined the track in a dangerous way and hit the back of the car. Okay. And I just remember now, the other reason I think that Hamilton shouldn't have got a penalty is because his nose broke, and he thought we had a penalty for having to replace his nose. I never think that that is a reason for not giving a penalty. I think that you have to be... That whatever happens, uh, you have to be stringent in applying the penalty to to show everybody else that that is not acceptable behaviour. But, but, he says, with a big Mm -hmm. B. Mm -hmm. We'll edit that In law, In law, yeah, if you have been on remand... And you're sentenced to six months. You get time served. He's had yeah. time served by breaking his nose. Yes, but you, okay. But then in that case, there has to be. That's he still right, has to Nick, be. Nick, can you point to the part of the Formula One rule book where where it gives anything like that? No, but but no, no. I accept. I I absolutely accept the analogy, and it's a good analogy. Time served, right? However, in that case, it, was, it would be a good analogy if there was anything in the rules of any FIA sanctioned series that actually followed that, no, no, and there but, isn't. No, but I get the analogy that he's making. Therefore, if that is to work, the steward of the meeting, or the race mm. director, has got to say, Nick Damon is guilty of causing yeah. an incident. However, his penalty is the time served. But... Because you, what you've got to do, Nick, is you've got to tell everybody up and down the pit lane mm. that that is not acceptable behaviour. Yes, I, I do take that. What if the, the penalty is time served plus another 10 second well, penalty plus uh, two points on your licence? Well, the two points on your licence I thought was a bit excessive as well, but fair who, who got the two points on your licence? Everyone. 
All right. Okay. They they basically they they they've basically done a big knuckle wrapping before the summer break, if I'm honest. But no, going back to the uh, the Lewis and the time set. Is that for the holiday? If we think about it, there's a lot of luck involved or bad luck involved in what happens here. Because if two cars come together and go wheel to wheel and bounce off and nothing happens, happens. Sorry, nothing happens. Then yeah, we get all marvelous wheel to wheel racing. If one hits one and bounces off at a bad angle and ends up spinning around and hitting a, a you know a a ball having an accident even just because of bad luck someone will get pinged for it because they do they do they take do look the, the consequence yeah. therefore if you're taking the consequence of the of the coming together as an accident surely a person has a consequence a breakage which has slowed them down already that should be taken into account go but <laughs> if that is true then the consequence of Ricciardo not lifting off for a peak or second and running into the back tyre of uh, Rosberg, that was a huge consequence. That ruined Rosberg's race and potentially took them out of a championship lead. So it damaged therefore, Ricciardo's wing as well, though. Yeah, but it didn't. He wasn't penalised as much by the consequence. Only because so he had a massive gap to the car behind him. So then you should have parked when him for two laps. If 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 you take the consequence, you can never take the consequences into uh, into effect in in terms of whether it's. Penalise a, 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 an offence that should be penalised or not. It's either a penalty or it's not a penalty. Let's be honest, it doesn't matter if you the could guy have given him a ten-second time penalty and he'd still have finished second. It doesn't matter whether you knock somebody's wheel off and it goes into the crowd and kills fifty-five people. Oh, God forbid, right? Or whether you get a puncture and it stops someone's race. If you've driven into them and that was avoidable, then you Unless should it's the first lap, of course. Unless it's the first lap? If the cars, say at the start of the, the grace, they all continue together, mm-hmm. and driver, say Ericsson, had gone up the back of Massa and punctured his tyre with the wing, he'd never have got a penalty for that. So they let's do let's take move on, because we oh. have now spent far too long talking about oh, I enjoyed that. No, you, you, didn't, you didn't see the hand moves of me and John trying to keep them. <laughs> so... Um, it was Going a back to Pastor Maldonado. Oh yes, yes, okay. oh, that yes. was the first yes. one. Yes, <laughs> it's at the crash. So Second he one, was given unlucky. A, he was given a penalty for that. Yeah, yes. that was a, that was a bit unlucky. Uh, and then he came in to make a scheduled pit stop. And what happened then? He, he got sped. pinged for speeding. He sped yes. in the pit lane. So How can you speed in the pit lane now? Not pressing the button in time. Right, or not getting not on the brakes enough. So or releasing too early. So he he uh, he, he went too fast. Him. And uh, what do they punish him with? Drive through. Drive through penalty. And what happened then? He, he spent his drive-through. He did, yeah. So does that not suggest then that his pit lane speed limiter wasn't working properly? It may be, but the team haven't said that, have they? So uh, when he was then uh, investigated for overtaking uh, under the safety car, what mm-hmm. penalty did he get for that? He didn't get anything, did he? No, he got a 10-second He got 10-second pe- time penalty. Oh, really? Added on to his next right, so he was penalised four times in the race. Yes. Mm-hmm. He only did one for a shootout. Hey... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about uh, his teammate? Roman Grosjean. Yes. We know who his teammate seventh. is. He did finish seventh. What Very penalties good. did he get? Not uh, at all. No, he got points for something. He um, got uh, two points on his licence. Five yeah, second time penalty. Unsafe release. Oh, unsafe, unsafe release. release. Yeah. Which again isn't his fault. See, I don't think that the driver should... No, I agree with you entirely. I don't think the driver should get pinged on, on his licence for unsafe release. I, I think unsafe release should be five constructors points. So how many? Stop it. Mm-hmm. How many penalty point. points uh, do Pastor Maldonado and Roman Grosjean now Six. have between them? 
12 between them. 12 between them, six each. Yes, mm. and 12 in a year is a ban. An yes. automatic one race ban. Not in a can in a can in any so for, it's like our our points. So you don't like have a free wipeout at the end of the season. If you got your first set in April, it runs all through the next. Does April. it really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're halfway. So to Lewis a has two points for the next twelve months. Right. Who else picked up two points? Oh God! Every um, everybody. Did Ricardo pick up two points. No, no. Um, he didn't get penalised for anything. Did Kvyat pick up two points. He did. Yes. Yes, for gaining advantage by going off the track, which that's is again, right. that's a little bit iffy. Well, he did make a. Actually, he pretty much made the overtake while he was off the track. Mm. Yeah. So that was pretty cut and dried. Who else got it? Uh, some... he was overtaking someone else who was already off the track as well. So someone else uh, got three Put points. Oh really? Oh, who was that? I don't know. That was uh, Max Verstappen. What for? Uh, he was not going fast enough behind the safety car. <laughs> not going fast enough? Yeah. Not going too fast. The steward said he did not stay above the required time set by the FIA during the deployment of the safety car. Yes, he went too fast then. He was below the required time. He Say that stay, again. He the didn't steward stay said. above the required time. He went below the required time, which is too fast. Oh, yes, that's oh, right. It? So, okay. Yes. Yes, because it's time, not time speed. Time rather than speed. Fine. Yeah. Uh, so that puts him on five points. Uh, so what's he doing this week? Passing his driving test, hopefully. Or taking yeah. his driving taking test. Driving test. Mm. Uh, you get six points in the UK as a, in the first two years of taking your driving test. You, you have lose to re- start again. You have to restart, take you your do. test, don't you? Yeah. Luckily, he doesn't live in the UK and he's only got five points. And that's on right. his race licence, not his we have uh, to road license. But he couldn't retake his super, his super licence now because he wouldn't qualify for it. No, it's a good point. Uh, well, good five points. he would, because he'll have done four Grand Prix in the previous season. Uh, well thought out. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Uh, so, Formula One was won by Ferrari. Uh, yes, it was. Um, Fantastic start. Was there something illegal with the car that makes well, them get these wonderful starts? Well, Almost no, because it's Williams' previous race. I think there's something not so wonderful with with the Mercedes. Well, obviously, next year the starts are no, uh, next no, race, next race, next the, race. The yeah. starts no are much more manual. Are much more manual. So, sure are Mercedes just practicing for the future? No, not because they've almost blown two races. I don't know. It, it, I think again, the the Mercedes proved once again that they really aren't in any position to to be in a competitive fight with anyone. They get confused very quickly. Well, also the car is awful when it's behind anybody. No. Rosberg's car's awful. No. Hamilton was fine. No, Hamilton's wasn't. It took him a long time to get to start what, the what, make I, progress. Did you see when he, was it when he went past Ricardo the first time, mm. and and he actually asked for an extra lap of superpower? Correct. And you 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 can th- you can see how much they're holding back on that car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he just can I have a bit more? Yeah, you know, because obviously they, they they can't run it at max oomph because they've got to get the cars the engines to run four races. And they've got to get to the end but, of the race without running out of fuel. Well, of course, that was that was no problem in the end because of the safety car. Because the safety car. Because that's a fuel marginal race normally. Yeah, but they, so basically he has that. I don't know how much extra power he did from going for the super level. But oh, but was, that looked ridiculous. That did look too easy. I think it was a slightly over-accentuated by Ricardo not getting a particularly clear exit. He, he did have corner. a slide. Yes, but he did have a bit even of a slide. so, it was like, oh my God. It, it was, though, uh, um, Rosberg's car was... Worse, I no, think. I think. I think. You know, so they're clearly not using the same If you actually look at the kind of the whole winners and losers thing, Lewis had a terrible race. He drove some great laps, but had a terrible race. But he at made the end some of it, very bad decisions. Exactly. As well, he, had, as a he had a real off day. That happens. Everybody had. But well, he just uh, made mistakes. Yeah. That he made. Right. He got a bad start, which can happen. They to both anybody. got a bad start. And then right. He was too timid in the first corner. Right. 
Then he, it was his mistake totally. when he went off totally. at the and first he, and, in fairness and to he him, was lucky. In fairness to him, he admitted it after the race. It was oh, entirely him, yeah. What, despite the fact he was whinging on the radio exactly. to say that well, his teammate pulled in front the of him? Moment, but he then said, no, it's entirely me. How lucky life. was he to get across the gravel trap? Very. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that trap's he pretty then, much skittled across the ball. And, and, then he made, and then he made a mistake with the Ricciardo thing. Mm-hmm. He just made some bad decisions. No, bad, but, but the thing about it is... The big, he still got the point. Who the had a good weekend, though? No, Hamilton. I won't expect the big loser of the whole event mm. was Rosberg. Yeah, no, I agree. Because he ended up losing four But who had a good weekend, weekend? On a weekend Hamilton. when he's got to make a game. Hamilton had a good weekend. Hamilton had a great weekend. Who else had a good weekend? Vettel. Vettel. Uh, Red, Red Bull, Bull. Um, McLaren. keep guessing McLaren. McLaren. They got a fifth and a ninth. Two yeah. cars in the points. Two cars finished. Yeah, and they're already saying it's going to be rubbish the next two races because of power circuits. Mm. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, this is the circuit where actually the Mercedes engine was of least advantage. Um, yeah, why with was Monaco? That? Because it's not a power circuit. Mm. Um, it's more of an area. Obviously, every circuit is a power circuit, but the extra horsepower obviously significantly more advantageous. Where are we next? up the hill in Spa, where we're in four oh, yes, weeks' time. Or going along the, the long straights of, of uh, Monza. Monza. Do you know what? You haven't been here for a little while, but that Grand Prix is the only Grand Prix in a 49-day span. I Because they lost the German Grand Prix. Uh, of got, course. And they've got that's a, why. And they've got that's a, why. And they've got a longer break than normal. Because that's all got next year. We ain't, having, we ain't having no breaks. No breaks. We're having a short and condensed season. We're having no action, no car action at all for four months. Third that of nice. the year, not a car is not going to turn a wheel. Uh, what else is on? happening next year uh, that was announced this weekend? 21 races? No. Announced oh, this weekend. Don't know, tell me. You tell me. Sauber have announced their drivers for 2016. Oh. Yeah, basically. Possibly. They announced the checks are cleared and they have, don't think they have a contract with anyone else at the moment. But, you know, let's mm. be honest, they kind of actually announced their drivers last year this time and they didn't, didn't have it to hire either of them. Yes. That is well. They, to be fair, they didn't actually uh, announce one of them. That was uh, Dutch television that announced him. Um, The fact that he paid money and and, his father-in-law was just writing it. Oh, my check's not big enough. So uh, basically, Marcus Ericsson's check has carried on going, and Felipe Nasser has also managed. I'm surprised. I'm surprised Nasser didn't hang out and see if he could get a better deal from someone. Which other Ericsson? Was hitting the headlines in Hungary. That was Ericsson, the phone company. No. Was it a guy in Stefan GP3? Ericsson. Jimmy Ericsson. Jimmy Ericsson. Yes. In GP3. What happened GP. to him? Did he get banned and kicked out? Uh, he was uh, given a five-second time penalty, right. which did mean that he dropped from third to sixth. Mm-hmm. It's a nice close race. Uh, for exceeding track limits. Hmm. But they all do that. Isn't that just what they do in GP3? Do they know what a track limit looks like? Hmm. Well, I think you will. Congratulations, to Alex Lynn. Hmm. Winning a feature race? Yes. Soffel Van Dorm hasn't won a race for four races now. Pressure's on. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say Hiru Matsushita, but actually it was uh, Nobuharu Matsushita who yeah. uh, won the other race in GP2. Can I ask you a quick question then, John? Yeah. That was a good race, wasn't the F1 race? Did you actually finally enjoy one? Can I say it wasn't a good race? I don't think it was a good race. It was an incident-packed race. It was 
Tim, I'm with you 100%. It was a comedy of errors and it was an incident pack race. I don't think it was a good race. It was very frustrating in some respects because it could have been a fabulous race and it just kept bubbling, bubbling, bubbling and nothing really... There was some great... It's another one of those where there was lots of incidents and there was some great racing. There was some very good racing, side by side through several corners. Um, I am still so not happy with DRS. The pass flaps just don't work for me at all. There was more good racing at the start of the race when we didn't have the pass flaps. And and people actually had to plan and scheme and get closer and get in the slipstream. It, I, I, <sighs> Incident packed. Very good, Tim. I'm with you on that. Uh, let's do a little bit of bikes then. Oh, what, the Suzuki Race Hour? Yes. No. Oh. Yamaha won. Bradley Let's Smith won. Let's do a yeah. little bit of MotoGP, as we've now covered as much of the Suzuki Race Hours as we've got time for. Case Stoner really hurt himself in his comeback. Yes. Yeah, well, sorry, who was racing at the weekend? MotoGP? Where no, were they? MotoGP weren't racing. No, they weren't. They're, they're having a summer break at the moment. Right, so where was Casey Stoner racing? In, in the Suzuki Race Hour. In the Suzuki Eight Hour, right. He really hurt himself. Right, I saw somebody say that, and I presumed that that he was racing either in MotoGP or World Superbike, couldn't find it anywhere, which is, that's what put me off. So what do you want to talk about? Um, Stuck throttle. GP racing. I want to talk about Giovanni Cuzzari. Well, are we allowed to, or is he sub What's he uh, done? He's been arrested. He was arrested <laughs> in Switzerland. He's actually been arrested. What he, is it? He he runs, that he's been he actually arrested. Yes. He runs the forward MotoGP team. Right. And Moto2 and, team. And Moto2 team, which isn't quite as bad, because only MotoGP is going to America to, is it uh, Indianapolis? Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. It's not the whole lot, just MotoGP. Correct. And uh, he's not going. The team isn't going either, because he's obviously done something very naughty. Okay. Uh, the team said, uh, every effort has been made to continue operating as uh, normal. Uh, however, some of the sponsors have decided to stop giving the team some money. I can't find out what he was arrested for. Money laundering, bribery, corruption. Mm. All all of those are alleged, obviously. So what we're saying is, an Italian team owner of a motorsport... Is he stuck in the late late 80s? (laughs) 70s, 80s or 90s. Oh, it was best in the 80s. Or the noughties. Not quite so much. No, because they weren't... In the noughties, they were only money laundering in the uh, lower Formula, Tim. Mm. Oh, yeah, I wasn't suggesting in Formula One where we only had Ferrari left. Mm. Um, okay, can we move on, please? <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying this not can true we move, here. Can we move on? You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 10, Episode 29. 29, not 30. It's 29 this week. Uh, is that, that, the... w- that will be important next year, by the way. Really? Why? Yes. Oh. You'll find out next year. Okay. I can't wait till that. I'll have forgotten by then. I'll forget by tomorrow. <laughs> I might tell you later then. Because uh, okay. we've got some rallying news. Excellent. God. Put that knife down, Nick. <laughs> Come on then. Sebastian Loeb. Doesn't yes. He, he's a touring car driver. He's talking about going back to rallying. He's that poor, but he's, he's bored with touring cars. Mm. My goodness. That's because he's in the wrong touring car series, to be honest. Mm. He could pick any other touring car series and actually have some fun. What, like DTM? Are you kidding me? Oh, Mike Rockefeller said it could be fun if they had better tyres. Yeah, true. So therefore, so therefore, it's actually not fun. Okay, move Sebastian on. Sebastian Loeb. Yes. yes. <laughs> Mikko Hervinen. Right. Yes. Peter Solberg. Yes. Right. What are they all going to do, Royal maybe? Valley Cross. No. Race Champions. No. The other uh, oh, no, Dakar. 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 
They're going to do the Dakar for Peugeot. Um, Sebastian Loeb, surprisingly, given that he's a Citroen Works driver, is Same company? has true um, has same group yes has uh, it's been suggested that he will go and do the Dakar for Citroen when as we no for Peugeot uh, for Peugeot rather when as we said uh, recently the Citroen will pick to either do rallying or WTCC but not both so they're picking rallying then no they're picking WTCC Peugeot will do the rallying, so basically so, but the, I, I don't, the group I, I, yeah. will still do exactly what it does. I I think, but the rally program will change its name. Well, potentially the yeah, but um, Loeb's not talking about doing World Rally. He's talking about doing Dakar specifically on yes. a different program for for Peugeot, which Peugeot's been working on for a while. But as we said the other week, there's still DS, which is a semi-autonomous. A Citroen brand that could quite easily still do touring cars if Citroen pulled out a touring car. Or right, it could have I, a privateer rally effort. Yeah, Correct. Because I, I don't agree, every, every few months I'm reading that World Touring Cars is about to get new manufacturers in, so it's fine. Mm. I'll be good. It's fine. Uh, let's bring in uh, another guest. Another guest? Another yes. Guest. Oh, other than Nick? Other than Nick. I'm not a guest, am I? Right. No, you're a contributor. Um, because... Uh, as it's getting chilly here, let's head for yeah. some California sunshine. Yes, let's have a warm welcome to from Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt. Speaking of warm, it's lovely here in Northern California, Heidi. Well, it's not been too bad recently here uh, in the old UK. And of course, my travels has taken me all over the place, including, obviously, to Lime Rock last uh, weekend. Decent racing again. I know that you were watching uh, from home, but uh, the two classes put on a pretty good show in Tudor. And I thought Continental was sparkling once again. Definitely on the Continental side, and from what I understand, Dane Cameron is actually still going right now on that uh, <laughs> on that one tank. Yeah, he's up to about 5,000 miles. Unbelievable. Actually listened to the last 20 laps of the race uh, using the IMSA app uh, while we were driving. And uh, A, it sounded, you sounded perfect. Everyone sounded perfect, but it was just gripping stuff. Will Dane make it to the finish? Uh, one-off race uh, return with his championship-winning team. Fantastic result in PC, I think, uh, for those who hadn't already invested their stock in Tom Kimber-Smith, seeing him go up against uh, a big name like Bruno Junquera mm-hmm. and come out ahead. Uh, I think that did wonders for his reputation for anybody that had questions about him. Uh, so, yeah, uh, to me, wonderful results in both classes. Felt bad for the uh, championship-leading Paul Miller racing team yeah. uh, after being taken out uh, for n- no reason, per uh, I guess, on their side. And then also a uh, tough result for the pole sitter and PC. Um, that was awful. That was just but- awful. Yeah, so uh, de- definitely if you put your money on the pole sitters to win, uh, ooh, you probably uh, lost a little bit on uh, on Saturday. Lime Rock Park looking and racing and just generally being absolutely lovely uh, in terms of, well, frankly, everything. It, it, it was just a, a phenomenal uh, weekend uh, in terms of uh, the crowd, the the new bank sides that have been moved to open the sight lines, the drainage and everything. And I had a long chat with Skip Barber and uh, he's, as you can imagine, he's quite bullish about uh, about how that 
might go forward and I can only say even better things and hopefully um, an even bigger crowd next year because it's a great venue I, I wasn't there last year and I hadn't forgotten how lovely it was up there but I'd forgotten quite how lovely it is up there and how good that track race is frankly 100% absolutely agree Heine and the other thing too that impressed me maybe more than anything is knowing that uh, IMSA has sent its two pro-am classes mm-hmm. and no disrespect to them but if we're just thinking about headlining cars the you know prototypes the big fast prototypes tend to be the headliners uh the big factory gt cars also huge attraction if not you know a headliner of their own knowing that neither of those classes went to lime rock yet at least for what i saw on tv really healthy crowd uh very engaged fan base i think that says a lot uh, for the region, the history of the track, for Skip's improvements. Yeah. And uh, I left thinking, boy, I know that they have uh, paddock uh, size issues and such, but, you know, another thing to keep in mind quickly, Heidi, is that when IMSA was formulating its uh, 2014 Tudor Championship schedule, uh, there was a lot of talk about, well, we're going to have 19 million cars to fit, and there's mm. going to be, you know, can we fit, and that will maybe make some races drop off the schedule. Uh, we don't have that massive oversubscription no. that was thrown around back then. So I uh, I left the weekend saying, you know, maybe uh, maybe Lime Rock 2016 needs to be a full round of the championship with all the classes because the fans definitely deserve it. There's some tracks we go to, as you know, Hindy, where uh, there's not a lot of people going through the turnstiles. Mm. Lime Rock, they absolutely should fans prove they deserve everything IMSA can bring. I liked uh, what they did. Originally, the plan was to have a GS race and an ST race in Continental. There weren't really enough GS cars, so they combined it. I think that worked for the number of cars, and they didn't use the chicane. They used the old uphill, because generally speaking, they're not big downforce cars. I think the two races on a Saturday with a an hour and a half, two hours in between them worked as well. Obviously, they can't race on a Sunday there. My worry would be that they try and squeeze too much in there and also try to squeeze too many cars on track. All right, 17, 16 cars in Tudor. I think you could go a few more than that. But I don't think we want to be at 40 Tudor cars in four classes. It might be an interesting thing to, to split the two the Pro-Am and the, um, the Pro-Fields maybe for the next time and have two Tudor races plus a Continental. I think you could yeah. probably work that out into a, a day's racing. Um, it, it would be tight, but I think it could be done. Uh, having the Conti on the Saturday worked really well and the Conti teams really appreciated the big crowds. It, it was all, all round, I think, a, a very good effort. And, and the PCs... Once again, and how many times have Jeremy and I said this down through the years, the PCs are worthy addition to the American Le Mans Series and now the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. And interestingly, of course, the future of the PCs being discussed recently and most recently at Lime Rock Park. And you were writing earlier on this week on Racer.com about some very interesting proposals that have come out. Um, can, we, can we put a bit of meat on the bones of that, MP? How How's... This is a, a kind of a working group that's going on between the PC stakeholders. We heard Scott Atherton on the air with us at Watkins Glen uh, talking about it during the race, that they would consult everybody. They had a, a toy in the water with a Ginetta LMP3 car at Watkins Glen, which for a number of reasons that we won't 
delve into at the moment it wasn't particularly successful um, I don't think it showed the car in the best light and I don't think it was the right circuit to go to if I'm honest but let's put those aside it wasn't particularly successful so it's back to square one really and what has square one become well well, you tell me interesting Heidi in that we've kind of gone full circle mm. from the summer of 2014 where uh, PC owners hearing that IMSA might be wanting to do away with the cars which they love they own me they uh, own them meaning they're not you know still paying them off there are, there aren't significant funds still uh, owed on them you have a PC paddock that owns their cars many of them have owned them for many years now so from a profit standpoint uh, an operating budget standpoint the most popular class among IMSA owners is PC, costs the least amount to run, and is the most affordable. And that also then filters down to uh, pro-am drivers who mm. want to come in and compete. So the class as a whole is a gem financially yes. and has also maintained its popularity through its five, six years uh, of action right now. Um Last year, hearing that they might want to get rid of these uh, the Areca FLM 09s, PC Entrance said, hey, we don't want to do that. Don't do that, please. So how about we make some logical updates to the car, extend their life? Uh, They pitched uh, a few bodywork changes, uh, a new nose with a little, just a little bit better looking. The car's been criticized, I've criticized as well as maybe not being the prettiest thing to look at. So they said, hey, let's do a few things to make it look better maybe a little bit more power it's an old maybe. design mate I mean you know it, it, one of the things I do like is it runs without the fin um, which I think makes it look more elegant at the rear but that let's remember it's an FLM 09 from 09 but before that it was a Courage so you're going back even further yeah I think 2004 uh, but I guess point being uh, they don't want to get rid of the car, rightfully so. Uh, wanted to see how can we extend its lifespan. Said, hey, we've got a couple update ideas. Make a little some bodywork stuff a little prettier. Add a little, add some power. Maybe we can do a few other detail things. Bring down the cost, maybe in an area or two. And uh, brought that to IMSA. IMSA basically turned down some of the bigger stuff. They did incorporate a few of those changes for this year, um, but basically said uh, came out with a release, which we all saw, saying, all right. The uh, PCs, current PCs, will continue through 2016, Mm -hmm. and then will be replaced by something to be determined for 2017. Well, uh, recently looked like P3 would be that solution. And uh, after that test, there was a resounding response from the PC paddock. Uh, Some expletives were used in their their take on why they did not want P3. And without, we've heard about how slow the car was in testing and some of the problems it had at Watkins Glen. Won't get into that, as you mentioned, but the one big thing that's been cited is car was never designed as a 24-hour endurance racing solution. And I think that is, you can probably put, you can fix everything else. You can add more power, you can Mm -hmm. do all sorts, performance-wise. I think the concerns are really that the car is never intended to be a 24-hour Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring monster. Four and six hours, mate. That's that's about yep. it for the car. And and I and I and I, I understand that, you know, that is part of how it's been able to be engineered, to to the cost cap. If I'm honest, as well. Absolutely. So where that leaves us, which is again rather interesting, is approximately a time where I think folks are expecting here. All right. So what's the solution for 2017? Uh, IMSA essentially finds itself um, 
back where it started per se uh, not necessarily in a place where they have a fix to say this is the car this is where it's going this is what's happening and all of a sudden this thing that was pitched last year uh, as an update has kind of come back mm. as maybe maybe that is not it's not the long-term solution, Heidi, mm. but how can we make this a bigger and more impressive bridge solution to the next car? So I think, again, nothing's been decided, but I think where we are at or going to end up being is uh, the FLM09 will continue for probably two years, right. two more years, 16 and 17, uh, extending it by one year uh, to when it was planned to be uh, mothballed, and a, a wider range of changes could be coming down the pipeline. I know that a complete um, complete body uh, has been designed. There are some other things about taking weight out of drivetrain, traction control, something, you know, that would definitely be uh, a, a pro-am friendly decision. Uh, not a huge huge overall cost, but something where it wouldn't make sense to do it for one year. No. But if it was done for two, it certainly would, which then leaves us with, all right, so what will we do for potentially 2018? Yeah, the, the, the thing about that as well, MP, which I think is actually quite sensible, we've already got some massive changes coming, as we know, in 17 with LMP2 and the prototype category in IMSA LMP2 globally. Uh, and if you haven't heard our programme from last week, download it. It's worth listening to. I listened to it again whilst I was on the plane, actually, and learned some stuff that I clearly hadn't taken in from what Graham and Marshall were saying when we did it. I think too many changes at the same time for IMSA uh, might be quite dangerous, and having to swap and change everything effectively in the prototype side in one season uh, may not be the, the right move. Having an overlap is a bit better. We're not, we're not talking about, though, what... We're not talking about having a roof on these cars, so presumably we're still talking about open-top cars, we're still talking about a spec series with something either exactly the same engine or something very similar to it. I dare say Nissan might be interested in doing something for it as they won't be having any LMP2 engines out there and Orica and Nissan have already got a deal to do drivetrains for the, the P3s and, and in fact Orica already... Uh, tune some Nissan engines for other uh, applications as well. So still open top and, and still a spec series though, MP? Yeah, well again, with this current FLM09, uh, there would be you know no no additions that couldn't be easily bolted on okay. uh, so or it's taken body work. off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So basically body work, a uh, little bit of performance improvement, um, maybe some traction control, and there could be some other things as well. Another big thing to keep in mind, and it's funny how one class's potential changes or updates are really being swayed by another, uh, with the ACO and FIA's announced changes, or I guess you could say updates as well, to uh, its GTE category, GTLM mm. in North America, uh, those cars are expected to be, I don't know what the number is, but one couple seconds, one second, two seconds faster, yeah. faster for sure yeah. next year. We, we have seen since day one there's been a... Uh, a bit of a lion and zebra interaction between the PC cars and GTs, uh, pace-wise at many tracks where they're falling over each other, or, you know, can't get out of each other's way. And so one of the concerns is, well, hey, the uh, GT Le Mans cars are going to get faster. Uh, that's going to be a big problem for the pro-am, for, as we often see with pro-am drivers in PC. Uh, we have GT3 cars coming into GTD next year, and at least straight line speed, uh, though, you know, that could 
things could change there as well. So I think the PC owners are looking at this current car, where the GT classes are moving next year and beyond, and the fact that they could be right back to mm. uh, having you know traffic issues or being the the issue in traffic with those cars. So they definitely want to increase the speed of PCs. One of the issues at Daytona, for example, is uh, which we you can just look at the radar numbers. The uh, the FLM annoying bodywork very draggy. Mm. There's only so much you can do to take drag off that car. So with a new body. Uh, lower drag body uh, uh, I think that would be a good move some of the other things I mentioned as well could hopefully keep, maintain uh, the parity or the same level uh, of performance as the GT classes jump up a bit, they're hoping that hey we can you know, be in step with PC, but where things get really interesting um, is what the, I've heard is the front runner for a permanent solution for PC. Uh, well, I shouldn't say permanent, but the actual replacement. Yeah, mm. the actual replacement for the FLM FLM09, uh, and that would be something I have termed uh, P2 light, uh, mm. and, and that would be yeah that has uh, that was uh, recently pitched, and uh, apparently uh, there are more folks that are liking the idea than not, and that would be. Uh, putting out a tender for, uh, call it a, a P2's already cost-capped, I guess mm. this would be ultra-cost-capped, but basically <laughs> a, a lower-cost P2 solution. And I'm not talking about a cheap monocoque, you know, a, a cheaply built tub. That I would expect to be, you know, full P1, P2 grade safety mm-hmm. uh, compliant. But essentially everything else about the car, Heidi, would be PC-esque. Mm. Uh, low-cost drivetrain, you know, similar 500-ish, 550 horsepower, uh, you know, uh, very low cost, very low maintenance costs. Everything else about the car, spec as well, all brand new. We're not talking about unbolting stuff off the Areca, the current Areca, and bolting it onto whatever this, whomever makes this new spec car, but just... Mindset-wise, think of take the concept of how the current PC car is, remove the open-top uh, tub, drop in a, a brand-new built for IMSA, built to spec for IMSA, uh, P2 Coupe. Mm. Could be a V8 engine, could be a turbo, who knows, but similar production-based engine, but the entire PC concept just wrapped in a uh, P2 tub built specifically for IMSA. Uh, and at a price point, I'm told, around $350,000. If they could do that, I think they've got a winner. Uh, and that that's $100,000 less than a, a cost-cap P2 car. Um, as it stands right right now, probably a little bit more. Oh, hello, HPD. Maybe there's a future for you uh, after all uh, with, uh, with your bits and pieces that you've got up there uh, uh, in California. Uh, just a, a quick final point here, because I know you've got a dash, but yep. um, what I like about this... Now, I bumped into uh, one of the PC team owners at, at, at the airport on the way home. I'm not going to say who it is, but wasn't prepared to go on the record and talk about this for a variety of reasons. But it does seem as though IMSA are consulting and managing this process in a very interesting and, and more open way. Although the PC guys aren't talking about it, um, I've heard that they've been told not to talk about it, but IMSA are prepared to talk about it, and it does seem quite an open situation in terms of, of gathering information from the people that matter here, which is the teams who are currently running in that class. You're dead on, Heidi, and that 
uh, IMSA has you know, received however much criticism uh, since the Tudor Championship started. I know 2014 wasn't always pleasant for them. I can say that at least in 2015, uh, there hasn't been a lot to really <laughs> criticize about the series. And uh, I guess that's, I don't mean that to be praised by way of not saying anything negative. Uh, I just say that I've been incredibly impressed with everything you mentioned realizing that uh, they have to consult uh, who they call their stakeholders. The other way of putting it is they're the folks who are going to buy their product. They are going out and saying, hi, people, uh, what do you want? And uh, provided they don't come back with something crazy, <laughs> IMPS is doing exactly what every small business should. Hi, people who are interested in purchasing what we have to sell, what do you want to buy? Mm. And with that type of engagement and buy-in, uh, I think you then shape success. Throwing something crazy out there. If IMSA said, we're doing P3, period, uh, you would see, a, I think you would see a lot of PC teams either move to a different class or leave IMSA altogether. One thing you wouldn't see is them say, okay, and then go buy P3 cars. Yeah. So as long as they're listening to the folks who are voting with their wallets, which they are doing, that's kind of everything you want mm. from, a, from a, a sanctioning body as an entrant. Having been an entrant myself and some, you know, much at a lower level doing other things, this is the, these are the conversations you want to be invited into instead Correct. of the email in your inbox saying, warm up your checkbook because you're going to buy something whether you like it or not. MP, brilliant stuff. The article, by the way, on the uh, the future of PC is on racer.com. Uh, MP, I know you've got a dash. Thanks very much for joining us, mate. Really, uh, really impressed uh, with what's coming out of the, the States at the moment. And uh, from what we said last week and again this week, the future really does look rosy. That's Marshall Pruitt from racer.com. Cheers, man. Thanks, brother. That's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um <sighs> It's a good opportunity for Areca again. Really? Yes. Oh, he's at a terrible time recently, aren't they? Hardly getting any work at all. <laughs> oh, poor things. Um, it is a good opportunity. Sam for Collins is going to love that because he loves that chassis. Well, the good RGLC 75, which is still it is. And it's quite interesting. It's, it's, it's almost like someone turning up with a, with a van wall and still running it, you know, because it's that old now. The, the question is, um, what... If you're going to keep using the same monocoque, surely uh, down the line somewhere somebody's going to have to crash test it or not crash test it, crack test it or do whatever you do with it because it can only have a certain amount of, of life. Well, you're, you're always saying that carbon fibre goes wobbly or it brittle, does. brittle, doesn't it? It goes brittle. Now, I, this is a silly question. I, I take it that they've built a batch of... The chassis they built as a batch for the Formula Le Mans, which are now... Eight years old? Uh, or nine, gives away the clue. FLM or nine, so yes. Seven years old. Yeah. But have they, have they actually built some more chassis since then? Are they laying them up as they go? Or do they just? I know they built a huge batch of cars, didn't they? I think it's... Because we had 14 in the standalone series at one point. At least, you? yes. Yeah. And they then got disseminated out to the various sub-series. So have they like built like three more in 2012 or four. That's a very good question. Because otherwise, some of those are a little bit old and this cost-cutting isn't going to work because you need a new one. Yes. I don't yes. think it's cheap just because it's an old design. No, no, that's that's true. Although, the, all of the investment that's... Well, first of all, first of all, Orica didn't pay for the investment because Courage did and they acquired the IP when Courage disappeared. So they didn't have to pay yeah, for the development no, yeah. of it. So you've amortised all your production but costs and design costs. Most of the cars around now are 
have, have sold their initial batch, you know, and, and so how much do it doesn't it you know it's not going to cost three hundred and fifty thousand euros or whatever but it is to is, for a the other thing about it is I I I fully can see why they want to do it, but surely the, it still has that one issue. I thought that everyone wanted to go closed top, correct, and more importantly, I thought closed top attracted more businessmen. Well. Or you know, rich um, uh, gentlemen drivers. But as I said to Marshall there, you know, there was a lot of people at the weekend saying how elegant the car looks without a fin, and we've never seen them going sideways. You know, I have no problem. I like open top. I like the variety. I don't think there's any need for them. They, they, as long as they can pass a crash test, and as long as they give the yeah, but the right protection. You made what to what? Level? And they're going to make them faster. But what as well. level are they crash tested to? Well, they were c- c- crash tested to, to LMP1 back in, in whenever it was, yeah. Yeah, well, that's. Well, I'm sure it's still very tough, but that's way back from what it is now. Absolutely. Uh, we'll stay with some uh, sports car news. Uh, and by the way, I, I, you, you must go and, and read Marshall's piece. It was very good. Um, Racer.com. Uh, can we stay with a bit of sports car news? Because mm. chasing this up for uh, veracity, but. Half, is that an American TV channel? Yes. The, very good. Uh, hearing uh, that the WEC uh, GT Le Mans or GTE yeah, class off. will be two cars light next year. Can you guess which two cars won't be there in the GTE Pro? How many Hastings are at the moment? Yeah, you see you're barking up the wrong tree there. Um... No, because they're getting two more. They're getting two Fords, aren't they? They are getting two Fords. Oh, that will balance out. In fact, there you go. That will balance out the ones that are going. But it's not Ferrari, so that only leaves Porsche, really. Correct. Oh. I am hearing from very well-informed sources that there will be no Porsches in FIA WEC in the works uh, really? area next year. Why is that then? Because everything's been thrown into developing their new GT car. Based on the payment? Mid-engine? Mid-engine is what I'm hearing, but not based on the Cayman. This is something new. I believe it's a response to what we're seeing happening. Hang on, they haven't got a road car that that matches. Yet. Yeah, but they need a road car. So they're building... Well, you sort of need a road car. So they... So what you're... Hang on. So what you're saying is that the Porsche go mid-engine, which we all expected, mm-hmm. but they're not doing it with the Cayman, which exists. They're going to build another mid-engine sports car. Where's that going to sit in the range? Well, they've got... Uh, going to sit above the 911. The problem is the 911's always been the range topper. What? Uh, I think this is their, their answer to the, the Ford GT, which doesn't exist as a street <laughs> car either. But no, it's, it just built it. Yes, but you've got to build a hundred for a sizable manufacturer like Ford. You've got to have uh, built and sold a hundred before the cars are allowed to race, unless you get one of these. Guess what I'm doing at the moment? Uh, you're waving at me. That's right. <laughs> I am a waver. Yeah, so basically, you're doing a bit of um, uh, Mr. Chips. Yeah, that's what's what he doing. He's waving. Um, so we'll we'll try and get what we don't know is uh, cultural reference, reference there. UK oh, reference. don't start me on that. I had a shock at the weekend. I can't go into it now, but. Put it this way: somebody not that much younger than me didn't know who Sergio Ballesteros was. Nightmare. So moving really? on from moving yeah, exactly. on, exactly. None of us can understand that. Stop. Sorry, carry on. Stop. Um, can I just so, pick up on something that Nick said earlier? Well, I just need to make one final point about Porsche. What we don't know is what's happening with the IMSA Works GTE GT Le Mans team, and we'll try and get some uh, some news from that uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting about Marshall's point was how IMSA have been 
consulting the PC teams at every step of the way and taking into account their... How many are these? How many cars they get at the moment? Seven? Yeah, about that. Is it that important? Well, it, it seems to be... It's a sizable proportion. Why are they not going GT3... Well, MP3? Can't we just... Well, as Marshall said, it was, you know, that test that the Ginetta had... Yeah, but with the, the, uh, the leisure where it has been testing brilliantly. Mm. I, I think that may have been short-sighted to base the future of... The, the, the yes or no to G to, to LMP3, excuse me, to LMP3 on the basis of one one car not very on success, one circuit, uh, which wasn't in very successful, not very good weather. In a, in a in a test that was hastily thrown together um, and perhaps not in the right frame of mind um, with a driver who hadn't driven it before. Yeah, well, and with many drivers who hadn't driven it before, and a car that wasn't prepped for that circuit. You know that I don't think that sh- showed the formula Doesn't off in its true light. Doesn't sound to me like a really well organised situation. Can I just no, pick up was. on something that Nick yes, just said? Yes, you can. Yes, you may. Uh, which is, uh, it's not going to be Ferrari. Right. Uh, obviously, the reason it wouldn't be Ferrari is what they got a new car coming out. They don't have a works team. Uh, that's not where I was going. I was they got going. Four eight eight is new coming out. I was going without Ferrari. There'd be no AF Corsa, and without AF Corsa, what do you not have? You don't have a GT race. You don't have a GT race. News on the Ferrari, by the way. No time for that because it's nine o'clock. Midweek motorsport, and if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. And still to come in the second half of the programme, will I ever get to tell <laughs> the Ferrari story? No. <laughs> uh, we will be waking up Richard Creel and talking about Australia. Lots of news from the other side of the world. Uh, we've got a pointless press release of the week. And game show. Oh, we still got a game show? Oh, yes. All right, okay, that's why you wanted to save some time in the second half of the programme, now I realise. Uh, and that's all still to come in the second half of Midweek Motorsports, Series 10, Episode 29. It's Episode 29, that's very important, and I swear I'll get that Ferrari story in, in somehow in the second half. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com And uh, we're going to carry on without a Ferrari story initially. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, but we are going to talk about a different Italian car company. Okay. Uh, because... Fiat, uh, Fiat. Alfa Romeo. I can't believe Nick said it. There we go. I'm surprised it took you that long to get there. That's Nick's favourite manufacturer. I know. I just... I... They don't race much, man, apart from the Trofeo. The Maserati Trofeo World Series of Porker uh, <laughs> reaches round four in about three weeks' time. <laughs> oh, this is up to date news then. Uh, at the Virginia International Raceway. All right. In Virginia. Obviously. What is that uh, support then? I don't no, know. It's the American Championship or the, Euro, or the World yeah. Championship. It's, 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 it's part of the Pirelli World Championship. World Championship Series. Ah, right, okay. So it's it's sanctioned by and, that side. And of why things, is right? it so important to us in episode 29, which is important, of mm. Motorsport this be year? be more important next year. That's true. Because it features Hunt versus Hill. Really? Yes. So that will be... Is it Freddie Hunt? It is Freddie Hunt. But it will be... Who, Phil according Hill. to this press release... Will be driving a black Maserati. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm, I'm pleased he's driving a Maserati then, so he will actually not, not stand out in the. And I yeah. take it it's a relation. It's a relation of Phil Hills rather. It than is Ro- Phil Hills' son, mm-hmm. Derek. 
Derek Hill, who has had a bit of a career. He's been all right. Well, in Formula 3000, uh, he raced for Dams as a teammate to Sebastian Bourdais uh, and was in a black car. Mm. Actually, I don't think he was uh, Dams as a teammate to Bourdais, but he was definitely in a black car. Right. And what's he dri- what colour Maserati will he be driving in VIR? Uh, Red one, blue one. He'll White be one. in the number 28. It doesn't say what colour it is. Oh, well, that's a bit of poor, isn't it? You know, when you've given the colour of one car, you expect the colour of the other. How am I going to tell them apart now? Mm. I know, you just have to look at those numbers. Yes. In, in all honesty, Hunt versus Hill wasn't much of a historical battle, was it? No. It's not Hunt v. Lauda or Hill versus Clark or Hill versus Schumacher, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would be good. Different Hill. We can't Different hill indeed. Can't do that. Yes. We, oh, I know, but even so, because now Josh has given up to become a Ibiza DJ and he won't have a chance to race with Mick, will he? Good point. Good point. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports, RadioLamont.com. And as we were talking about Ferrari drivers there with uh, Derek Hill's dad, Whoa. Phil Hill, who won the 1962 on, on, World Championship. Hang on, a call for, for Mr. Hindoff. Tenuous in there. <laughs> <laughs> Last time the Maserati Trofeo went to Virginia, yes, uh, both uh, races were won by... Sorry, there were three races. Two, two of the three races were won by... Andrea Bertolini. Mikkel Bartels. Mikel Bartels. Oh, uh, you could have had a pause there for a fortnight, I wouldn't guess, Mikel Bartels. No. <laughs> you were the one that was talking about Schumacher just now, who was, of course, his teammate mm. when they raced for... I don't... Mercedes? But Sports cars? Close enough. <laughs> Sauber. Sauber. Jeez. Right, moving on. This is why I do badly in the quiz. <laughs> Yes, because you I, don't pick up on all these little... I haven't little got enough time for this tenuosity that you, you two are so enjoying. These little facts. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I should get someone else to write the questions this year. The, the yeah, someone normal! Why don't you get we'll, you to write the questions, Nick? We'll, we'll You'd be still having... lose. Yeah, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, that's We've right. got lots of people wanting to know what I was about to say about the new Ferrari. Is I it, can't see anything on Twitter to that effect. I really can't. <laughs> The 488 will be at the balance of performance test in September, I have been assured. Oh, I had a press release about the 488. Right, the the 488 GTE car will be at the the balance of performance test in September, which is impressive because I don't think that car's even run yet. I've been saying this for a while. It has to be there, of course, if it's going to compete under the new regulations, as does the new Ford. But the new Ford's been running. The new Aston, I believe, has been signed off. What is it based on? Oh, it's another Vantage V12. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, V8. But it's a um, it's a very different looking car. And is it road car engine then? Uh, no, it's the, the the race car. It's just a lot smoother, less aero. Less overt error, shall we say. Uh, however, I believe that that 488 has not turned a wheel in any kind of anger whatsoever yet. Uh, moving on. It's time for my game show. Okay, who's mm. playing this week? Well, I've played. Have you? Both of you. Oh, hang on. We're both playing. Oh, it must be Deal of the, the Century. Different game of show. course, it's Deal of the Century. Excellent. Oh, And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. The 
Yeah. So all that spotting up I did on racing drivers called Price is not going to help me at all. <laughs> not this week, no. Which it will, I'll have forgotten by the time we do it again. I'm just thinking, Dale of the Century, we uh-huh. should have a third contestant, really, shouldn't we? And we've already yeah, said goodbye to Marshall. Yeah, too late. And uh, it's too early to wake up Richard Bale. We'll do this and then we'll get to Can we? Can we? Can we bring in Johnny Palmer? I can't hear anything, but yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and this week's prizes include this sailing dinghy, which we hope will be to your liking. It's 12 feet long with a fiberglass hull and built-in buoyancy tanks. But now, let's meet the man with the questions of the money. Nicholas Parsons. Third of the century. Right, it's based on what this week? Well, there was a big auction at the Silverstone Classic at the weekend. Oh, there was, yes. I took a lot of interest in that. No, no, John, thank you. I would have loved to have been there with uh, my lottery win uh, mm. because uh, Piercarlo Ginzani auctioned his entire collection of uh, Formula 1 and Formula 3000 cars. More Formula 3000, you must be in heaven. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, our first uh, item is yeah. a uh, 1979 yes. Ford Capri GRP1 has mm. uh, driven... As driven by Gordon Spice. It's a Spice group. Is that the red and white one? So we will... <laughs> it is. It's mainly red, but it has uh, a white uh, patch on the door and some yeah. white logos on it. Is it yeah. rusty, as most Capris are? No, that's not true. Leaking that's oil. True. Yours was. Uh, so was Nick, we'll ask you to go first. Oh, that's not fair. Uh, I'll go for £26,000. And John? Was it in a running, fully working order? No, more questions. I had no more information. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Not that it's competitive, of course. Well, he's, how competitive is he? Uh, I think £25,000. So he's gone a 1000 lower. Yeah. I think it's more than that. I think £31,000. Well, you can see what he's got written on the piece of paper or on the... Precisely. <laughs> so I'm going to win. Jo- Johnny can't see this because he's facing me. Uh, and the laptop is facing you. And the laptop you. is also facing me. Okay. Uh, so he wins uh, this first round he does. because the hammer price was £92,250. No. Wow. Wow. I wonder how much my Capri's worth now. <laughs> Still £7.30. <laughs> All right, OK. Second one, then. Next is a 1959 Cooper Monaco. Ooh, right, OK. Bob Till. Who's going first? It's me this time to go first. Um, £67,000. Johnny. £75,000. Nick. £85,000. Nick wins it. Nick wins it, obviously, we because it's in. sold for £219,375. <laughs> we wouldn't have paid that for it, though, clearly. Ow. No. <laughs> See, Between us, us, we would have paid it. See, right, Johnny, to go first on the next one. The next one is? It's a 1989 Porsche 911 930 Turbo LE. 930. Yeah. Road car or race car? Uh, this is uh, a highly desirable car that's rarely seen at auction. Uh, it's it's one of only 50 right-hand drive alleys that were built. Oh, it's right. a road car. Okay. Uh, it has 30,000 miles on the clock. Oh. <laughs> and its hammer price was, Johnny? Was 55,000. Nick? One sixty thousand, hundred sixty thousand. Oh, think so? One hundred sixty thousand. Well, those RSs are worth three hundred grand. Yeah, John. Hundred and I think somewhere in the middle. Um, hundred and thirty. You said one hundred and sixty. One hundred and forty, something like that. 
has it, gone, has it gone? Have they gone bonkers on it and it's gone over? I think that was a guy price was one one thirty, but I'm, I'm going to say one forty five. Nick wins. Oh, it was one hundred and fifty nine thousand seven hundred and fifty oh. pounds. We were close. Wow, wasn't that was it? Yeah. Uh, Very good. So next, uh, we have a very rare 1989 Datamatho Pantera GT5S. Right. Uh, One of only 17 right-hand drive GT5Ss. Yeah. uh, Out of a total production of 187. Yeah. I will tell you now, 15 years ago, this was worth at most five grand. Oh, why didn't you buy one? Not a GT5S. Oh, it was a race car. It's a GT5S. Oh, right, okay. It's a homologation. It's an homologato special. £99,999. John? £150,000. Johnny? £160,000. And Johnny gets the point. £157,500. It really does help being able to see the screen, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Hey! What's the score now? Is it 2-2-0? Yes. Uh, Back to the Porsches. Uh-huh. Okay. This is a 1972 uh-huh. uh, 911 2.4 S Coupe. Scoupe. A scoupe. And it's uh, left-hand drive. Mm-hmm. 1974. I have no idea of the value. 75,000 pounds. Johnny? Um, 95,000 pounds. Nick? 70 grand. And Johnny wins that one as well. It was £132,000. Oh, really? Sorry, I, I just can't believe that. It's just a, it's just a big beetle what souped up. How much is mine worth? <laughs> a souped up beetle. Come on, moving on. Uh, unfortunately, the battery in my laptop's just died, so, Excellent, so that's, a, that's the end of the quiz. I can remember all the amounts. <laughs> <laughs> but can you remember what the cars were? No. no. <laughs> but that's all right. Mix and match. Excellent, Johnny. A Excellent. 1972 Mini. 2.6 million. <laughs> Bugatti, 1935. £174. There you go. <laughs> Excellent I'm saying stuff. all the right prices, but not necessarily <laughs> in the right order. No, no, thank that's you. a reference from a young man back in the early 70s. Of course, it's Morgan Les Dawson. Uh, or Les Dawson as well. Do you know who Malasteros is? Yeah. Yes. Oh, of course I do. I'm still shocked by that. You're about the same age as Matt. He's oh, it was Matt who said this, was it? Yes. Right, can we move on, please? Yes. We've got to get an Australian out of bed in a minute. Oh, God. Uh, I think we could, we could do that now. All right. Matilda. Stop it. Stop. 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 Almost. Stop. Stop <laughs> it. Um, a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, before our LMP2 special, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to it, is... What, what section is that in, Tim, by the way? I've had a, a, a tweet about that. Where is the LMP2 special? Because it's uh, not in Midweek Motorsport. It's not, because it wasn't Midweek Motorsport. Oh. No, indeed, because uh, it's episode 29. So where is it? Uh, it is in the WEC, oh. uh, LMS, and... Tusk sections. Right, okay, excellent. Uh, that was our LMS special. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, so I think it was the one before our LMS, uh, LMP2 special, um, we were talking about the situation in Australia. There's a lot of Australian news coming through, so we thought rather than speculate about it and get it terribly wrong, because we can do that on everything else uh, on our own mm-hmm, accord, absolutely. We, should, <laughs> we should get in touch uh, with our favourite Antipodean, and so I've no idea what time it is in Australia, but I think we've just woken up Richard Quail. Quailsy, how are you, mate? 
I'm well. How are you? Uh, canny, canny for a lads. How's the season been so far? Obviously, you and I were together at the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours, which was great. Supercars has been running through. I've caught most of them this year. It's been a pretty good season. Yeah, it has. It's been it's been very competitive, um, and and it's been a, an interesting championship. There's been a few milestones that have been ticked over, and the big one for Australia was the build-up to Craig Lowndes winning his 100th championship race which has probably been the big story of the season we've been waiting for that for a while and there was some talk that that Jamie Wincup was going to catch him and and get to that milestone before it but for those that that perhaps don't know V8 supercars as well as some I mean Craig Lowndes is the household name in Australian motorsport at the moment especially with Mark Webber taking a step back from Formula One and Daniel Ricciardo's star still rising I think Craig remains the true household name and a name that everybody can recognise whether they're interested in the sport or not. So there was a lot of build-up towards that and it's it sort of shaped a lot of the storylines around the way this season's been playing out. And it was great to see him do that. I was there in person. It was uh, up in Darwin, which is one of the great events of the year, a city that gets behind the, the entire motor race, much in the same way that Adelaide does with the Clipsal 500. So that was a great story. And, and the other big story in V8 land this year has been the performance of the Ford product, despite the fact that Ford Australia has almost completely pulled all of their financial support for motor racing. This year, they've delivered with an upgrade to their cars, a brand new model, and they're um, not dominating the championship because it's pretty much impossible to dominate V8 racing, but uh, Mark Winterbottom especially going very, very well. So very competitive championship. And as we speak, we're, uh, we're about to jump on a plane and go up to Queensland for the second last of what will be the sprint rounds. And then we get into the endurance season, which, of course, um, culminates in Bathurst in October and, and then the very busy second half of the year that takes us through to December. So uh, it's a busy time in Australian motorsport. I think we've got 13 national-level race meetings in 15 weeks in the second half wow. of the year. So. There's a lot of racing going on at the moment. So that means a lot of travelling for you, obviously, with particularly with the Shannons programme that you're inextricably involved with. And by the way, kudos for the coverage uh, on various streams uh, through the early part of the season, particularly the stuff that came up from Phillip Island. I've got to talk about Australian GT racing because it's going from strength to strength at the moment. Yeah, it is. I suppose it's a, it's a mirror to what's going on internationally with the whole GT3 product and, and the growth we've seen that you've been following with, with the IMSA product and with what's going on in the various GT3 series around the world, it's a mirror to that. And I think we're all still a little bit surprised at how quickly it's grown in Australia. But the last round for Aussie GT was up in Townsville on the street circuit there with the V8s and, and they were oversubscribed. They had to turn entries away because the track just cannot wow. hold enough race cars. It's a great circuit. It's got a, a mix between the Adelaide street circuit vibe and, and Albert Park where the mm-hmm. Grand Prix held. Very much. Parklands and and tough straight circuits but really good racing and we still use a, a unique parity system i suppose you call it here for australian gt which which differs a lot to what's used internationally and but i think they're slowly but surely transitioning towards the the gold silver bronze platinum level driver status over here but quite difficult to classify all of the the various drivers that are in action in australia that just don't race internationally the, the, the racing strong there's plenty of cars coming in and i think the important thing is that with this next generation of car that we're seeing the new r8 the hurricane that's been going so well we're seeing a lot of those being ordered already so it sort of gives a lot of confidence that long term the championship's going to be successful it's not just a flash in the pan short term 
enterprise. And that's a big commitment for anybody in Australia, Creelsey. We do feel like sometimes we get penalised for being on the other side of the world, but then at the same time, you need to think that it is expensive to put one of them on a boat or, or a plane if you need it quicker and ship it around the other side of the world. But I think the most important thing, and, and you and I saw this at the 12-hour uh, in February this year, was that the manufacturers are engaged with what's going on here. Now, whether it's a, a Bentley who are actively involved in supporting a program like they did at the 12-hour and um, and through the back door, I suppose, the, the Bentley team that's running here or a manufacturer like Writer Engineering who are heavily involved in making sure cars come out here and then Audi who are obviously got a works presence here with their local team. I think the manufacturers and the constructors of these cars are engaged in making sure that their their products are, are sold down under and I think they see how strong the GT scene down here is. They get that it's a business and, and they'll do whatever they can to make sure that they can build their business. So if that means doing some deals to make it a little bit easier perhaps for cars that, that need to come down to Australia, then I'm assuming that they're going to do that because um, there's certainly no let up in people buying them. Plenty of talk about Bathurst. I'm not sure that you'll be able to give us anything more than what we've read on places <laughs> like Speed Cafe after the almost open hostilities from one side of the, the argument at the, the start of the year. There's clearly been a rapprochement uh, between V8 Supercars and the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours, which effectively uh, puts the uh, the two Jameses, James Warburton and uh, James O'Brien, uh, around a, a table. No, well, there's not much more I can tell you because I only know what's been, what's been published as well. And I, what I will say is that there, there shouldn't be... And realising what went on this year with the clash between the test day and the Bathurst 12 hour, which which created a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to sit on the fence as much as I no, can no, here understood. because I have to. But th- there shouldn't be a fear, I don't think, of the events side of V8 Supercar getting involved if that's what happens. And we honestly don't know. And at the moment, the only thing that's, that has been publicly acknowledged by both parties is that they're discussing and trying to find a way to work around the test day scenario and yes. avoid that clash. Surely that makes sense for everybody. It didn't look good for V8s. Some people might say that it didn't. It robbed the event of some of the big Australian names. I'll I'll be honest and say from an international point of view, I don't think the event was any the less for it. Um, and and maybe in some respects that's what's brought V8 supercars to the table. But if if we look at it and, and we're speculating a bit, we don't know. What do you think V8 get out of it if there is this handshake or there's some kind of of co-promotion potentially even the test day being at the same weekend don't see how that's going to work with the two different TV properties working uh, against each other but what would V8 supercars get out of being in bed or even promoting that event V8 supercars are a very very good events business I I think at the moment they promote 10 of the 15 events that are on their calendar they promote it in-house themselves so they have a, a dedicated events department they're very good at putting on large scale motor racing events and the, the talk going around the industry is that, that part of their plan is to build that events business outside of V8 supercar racing. And, Smart. And it, and it, it makes sense, absolutely. Yeah. And they're very, very good at it. The, the, they promoted the Townsville event. They had 160,000 people through the three days. They had fantastic concerts on Friday and Saturday night. It was well promoted, well presented. They do it very, very well. And they're well resourced and they're well connected and they've got great relationships with key sponsors in Australian mm-hmm. motorsport. So if if you look at it purely from that perspective, it probably makes a lot of sense to take the event to the next level is having a relationship with the biggest promoter of motorsport events in yeah. Australia 
I'll be honest with you, I think it's a it's a massive slap on the back to James O'Brien and Yeehaw and Liquid Molly and Bathurst for what they've done in a relatively short space of time to have V8 Supercars now clearly uh, openly courting that event and showing interest. SRO, Stefan Rattel, he's wanted to be involved and, and bring it into part of a some kind of Pan-Asian series that doesn't exist at the moment. But frankly, as I think you and I have said before, and certainly we've said on this programme before, Krilzy, it's a real blue riband, world-class, international, global event. Yeah, and it's become that in four years. Amazing. And, and I think if, if we had this discussion in, in 2011, before we'd met, mm-hmm. before you guys came down to do the race for the first time, if you'd had that this discussion in 2011 when there were two works Audis, yep. um, there were a couple of Ferraris, a few Porsches, and that was the GT field. That was it. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think, 28 or 29 cars on the grid. You'd laugh. If you, you come back four years later and see what we saw last year, forget the amazing two-lap dash to the flag and mm-hmm. the Nissan involvement in victory and the fact there were seven different brands in the top seven at the end of the toughest 12-hour I've ever seen there. It's a completely different event, and it shows how quickly it's grown. So I suppose there's a process in looking to where the next level is and and where do you take it. It will be a little while, I think, before we know what's going on. From a a Bathurst 12-hour point of view, if I put my official cap on, um, we're ticking over and and building up to February next year for another great race, and whatever happens between now and then happens. And as I say, kudos to Yeehaw, to everybody involved in it, James O'Brien. We heard last year, and it's now been, or at the last event, and it's now been confirmed, rumours of, as I say, which have now been confirmed, a six-hour touring car race around the Easter meeting time at Bathurst on the mountain. Have you um, have you booked your tickets yet? I'm just waiting for your helmet and race suit ready, mate. I've got. I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for calendars. It's a brilliant addition to the calendar. It it is, and and we're going back to the roots of Bathurst, which is production car racing. What what you can buy in the showroom, whack a roll cage in, put some Mm -hmm. slicks on, and go car racing, and and that's what the 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 Bathurst six hour is going to be about. It's got great momentum already, and we're Mm -hmm. a year out from it. Um, It's already got a title sponsor in uh, High Tech Oils, which is a local Australian oil company that are are heavily involved in Aussie motorsport. Hankook Tires have come on board as the control tire supplier and a sponsor uh, as of yesterday, which is great news. So it's already gaining momentum. I I think at this stage there'll be anywhere between thirty five to forty five cars, and there'll be a mix of Mitsubishi Lancer Evos and Subaru WRXs, the four wheel drive turbos, which have been a, a strong point in production car racing in australia here for a while and then big v8s so hsvs and and fast forwards all the way down to um to baby cars little suzuki swift from a great suzuki swift one make series and all sorts of stuff so it, it's going to be a great event much more grassroots much more um sort of entry level form of motor racing than the 12 hour but i think the, there's a demand for that at the moment certainly great. from competitive and it'll give you an opportunity to come and do it mate and there will be live streaming that we've already locked in for that on Get the sunday it. so uh people around the world will be able to see your progress in your first race at bathurst that's what monday after the 12 hour was all about for you wasn't it yes. when you did those laps in that yeah that's what it was all about it was right? mate just before we leave bathurst uh the again rumours that have been around for quite a long time about a circuit extension and a potential permanent circuit they've come back up again we talked about them a little bit at the Liquid Molly 12 hours they seem to be moving on and moving on a pace and the permanent side of the circuit particularly for motorcycle racing which has a rich heritage let's not forget at uh, Bathurst yeah, the Bathurst Council and New South Wales government to a slightly lesser degree but certainly the council and we know how proactive they are about promoting their circuit they've, yes. they've made it clear they want top level international two wheel racing there and 
Um, yeah, there hasn't been any any top level bikes there for probably fifteen years, if not more. And, wow. and that Easter weekend we were just talking about used to be the two wheel yes. weekend, but just with um, with the track and increasing speeds, and it just it would be absolutely ridiculous to race a superbike over the top of that place nowadays. I would have thought, but not that it would stop people from doing it if they were given the opportunity, <laughs> but it would be insane to watch. I've seen the the proposed design that came out this week on social media. I believe that was leaked out. That wasn't officially released, so I'm not too sure how legit that is. But if you get on the internet and have a bit of a Google, you'll probably find that design. It looks pretty good. certainly looks like it's been designed with two wheels in mind, for sure. And Agreed. it's got that European MotoGP World Superbike circuit feel about it. Um, but, but from an overall Bathurst perspective, they really need that to happen so that they can use that track all year round and use the facility all year round because at the moment the local laws and and the permit that they have for that place mean they can really only use it for four or five weekends max um, for the full road closure bearing in mind people actually live on Mount Panorama and need to use the circuit to get to their house that's all progressing and and that's great it's good for Aussie Motorsport to have Mm -hmm. another circuit for starters irrespective of where it is but the fact that it's at a town which gets the sport a town that will back it and a really really good facility even when you forget all of the rest of the circuit, if you just look at the final two or the last corner and the first corner and the pit building and everything they've got, there's brilliant world standard. Um, they may as well use it more often. And, and if that's what they're going to do, we're all for it. Uh, we should stress that it's not going to change the classic circuit. That will Good remain. Point. It will still be used for October. It'll be used for the 12 hour and the six hour. That will remain, but it'll be an addition to that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Richard Krill is on the line from the other side of the world where it's tomorrow, yesterday, next week. I still don't understand it, if I'm, I'm honest. But thank you for taking time to speak to us, uh, Rich, and bringing us up to date with a few of the Antipodean stories coming through. The The other big thing that's, that's kind of being reported here, but not in any detail, and that's one of the major reasons for having you on, uh, honestly, is this big shake-up of national motorsport. There's, there's some concern about where Australian motorsport is going. CAMS are the sanctioning body. They oversee the whole thing. What, what's, all, what's all the fuss about at the moment? What, what's this big reorganisation that's going on that's got people so excised? So is this the special six-hour edition of Midweek Motorsport? <laughs> because we're going to need that time to tell you. Uh, long story short, at the start of the year, CAMS announced a review into the way that Australian motorsport would be structured. So CAMS, as you correctly said, Confederation of Australian Motorsport, they're our version of the MSA mm-hmm. uh, over there in the UK. Um, they govern the sport, dictate what categories are the national championships, what are not, and and govern and regulate as, uh, as the MSA would do. Um, they conducted announced at the start of the year that they were conducting a full review into every category with a view to restructuring the way the sport was laid out, I suppose, in Australia. Now, related to that, but sort of as an aside, at the start of last year, CAMS announced that they would be adopting Formula 4 open-wheel regulations. And part of CAMS's push with the the current administration has been to uh, improve the junior development of Australian motor racing. And in the past, it's been fractured in many ways, and there's been lots of options and different series where young drivers can come through. CAMS have always felt that they miss out in government funding because they don't have 
a solid and strong and healthy junior development program. The Australian government hands out millions of dollars every year to mm. sport, being such a big part of, of Australian way of life. CAMS gets about $350,000 Australian every year from the government, which is about 60th in the list of <laughs> sports. All the Olympic sports are going to get a much bigger handout because a lot of them don't have the commercial backing and the financial backing that motorsport Understood. does. So yep. It's a strange scenario, actually, in that respect, where motorsport's position, because the sport's actually reasonably well off with a lot of commercial input, but the sport and the management of it is frustrated they don't get more recognition from the government. So CAMS announced Formula 4 would come in. So the FIA's junior open wheel wings and slicks category, pathway to F3, ultimately F2, if and when that starts, and then obviously to Formula 1. Um, and CAMS was very clear that they wanted to follow that FIA pathway. No problems with that laudable goal um, perhaps where things started getting a little bit controversial is where cams decided that they would operate and run the championship themselves so they bought the cars out of their own bank balance they're operating and running the championship as so they're the they're the administrators of the sport but they're also running their own junior category now on, on the surface that sounds fine but what it's done is created a bit of angst from everybody else involved in the sport at that level, in the junior development level and in the existing categories especially. And that's where this uh, review has caused so much controversy in that when the results were announced on June 30, which is a day that many people, including myself, will remember for a long time in Australian motorsport, um, two of Australia's long-serving junior categories, open-wheel categories, Formula 3 and especially Formula Ford, mm. uh, which is still very strong in Australia, were basically relegated to state level only and their national championship status was rescinded for next year. What, what's happened since then is a lot of controversy, a lot of bickering through the media, letters flying back and forth, cams firmly holding the ground, as is their absolute right. Formula 3 and Formula Ford in particular going off on a warpath to try and get uh, either justice, revenge. I'm not sure what it is, but it, it's uh, they're not they're not happy, and there's a lot of people involved in the sport that have been upset by this review and what's C- going on. So, if what I'm hearing is right, then anybody who's got a Formula Three or a Formula Four team, and I presume there are still businesses yep. um, who yep. who do that, they're not allowed to get involved in Formula Four. No, they're they're allowed to run. Um, they're, they're running it as it is a control completely controlled category so the cars are Miguel chassis they've got a a 1.6 EcoBoost turbo engine the cars are controlled but they are run by teams so at the moment there's three or four teams involved in F4 and do they buy the cars or do they rent them from from camps no they they lease them from camps right okay you take it for the year, give it back at the end, basically in the condition you got it from um, and go from there so that gives some flexibility and there's nothing wrong I don't think with that model um, in my personal opinion but where people have got their backs up over this is that cams are running it internally. And mm. and what a lot of people feel aggrieved about is that they've cut categories that are competing in the same marketplace for drivers that cams want in F4, Yes, which is a category they own, run, and operate. And they've slashed Formula 3 and Formula Ford, which are direct competition. So people are going, well, is that a conflict of interest? And that's probably been the biggest discussion yes. point out of all of this. We should mention, though, that it's not just F3 and Formula Ford that have been cut in this program. They restructured Australian sport into three tiers. So CAMS Australian Championships as of next year will be V8s, Australian GT, Australian Formula 4, and the Australian Endurance Championship, which everyone is convinced will be 
Tony Quinn's new GT Endurance Championship, which will be four to five long-distance GT races spread throughout the course of the year, run separately to the Australian GT Championship. Same regs, but long-distance mm-hmm. stuff. The second tier is the second tier V8 Supercars, V8 Utes, which is wildly popular here, and mm-hmm. Porsche Carrera Cup Australia. Porsche feel a little bit aggrieved. Mm-hmm. I believe that they've been bumped from national championship status to second tier. And Porsche are probably the third or fourth highest spending mark in Australian motorsport. So they've probably got a right to be as well. And then the third tier is stuff like the stuff we see on the Shannon's Nationals program, production cars, touring car masters, uh, sports sedans, Porsche GT3 Cup, and so on. Categories like Formula Ford being relegated to state level only. So no national championship at all. They haven't been legislated out of existence, though, Formula Ford and F3. So... Honestly, what difference does it make? The guys from you know New Zealand who came across, like uh, Mitch Evans and, and those guys who came across and plied their trade in, in Formula Ford, they could still do it, it just wouldn't be a national series. Correct, and there's also a school of thought that as long as someone is moderately capable at running an Excel spreadsheet, you can race wherever you like yeah. and still have a champion at the end of it if you're capable of adding 20 points plus 20 points. <laughs> um, it doesn't need to be official. Uh, that is one line of thought. I think the big issue is is that the second tier series in Australia, the Shannon's Nationals, has a strong media package. It's got live streaming, as you've talked mm-hmm. about already. It's well recognised. It's got great national television as well, mm-hmm. and it's very cost effective. So, from a national point of view, categories like F3 and Formula Ford can run on that program, and the drivers can get great exposure out of it yeah. without having some of the additional expense of running on the, the V8 supercar main game sure. program, which is naturally more expensive. It's a bigger show. So, that's probably the issue. And, and I don't think the move back to state level is driven by the status or anything like that it's the fact the opportunities will dry up to get that kind of exposure by running in those categories and obviously the less tv you've got the less crowds the less exposure less sponsorship it's harder to fund and ultimately the category you'd think will struggle to exist so that's probably the big talking point at the moment is how they manage that and and what happens in the future who funds f uh, formula ford and formula three at the moment because presumably like formula ford here it's not ford anymore and hasn't been for quite some time and and f3 in the uk is gone now completely we don't have f3 it got too expensive ridiculously so are there proper sponsors in there in terms of driver sponsors car sponsors or series sponsors how does it work at the moment Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, Formula Ford is still very healthy. Um, this year, they've averaged 21 cars over their first five rounds. So it's been uh, four rounds, I should say. So they're, they're very strong. Um, the racing's been very good. It's a mixture of professional teams that have been in Formula Ford racing for 10 Ever. or 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and and family, you know, dads and lads who go car racing. And Formula Ford re- reinvented themselves two years ago. They moved off the V8 program they tried to cut all the costs out of it because it was getting too expensive. And what that did was bring the privateer runners back into it strongly. And we've seen a young kid from Canberra this year who's running his own car with his dad, close family, and that's it, um, with a very limited budget. Um, And they're dominating the championship at the moment. And you've got kids who have still got cash or they've got sponsors that are running with the professional teams as well. So, But there's a a train of thought there, Krilzy, that says that that won't end if you go to state level. There'll still be somebody who comes up with a ute and a trailer and a Formula Ford stuck on the back of it and is prepared to spanner for themselves or get their dad or their mates to do it and potentially still learns everything that you can learn. I agree. 
I agree. But the the argument from their perspective is, what if we want to run a national championship? Mm. Um, and, and the prestige that goes with winning the Australian Formula Ford Championship, which has been around since 1970 mm. and has been strong ever since then. So some amazing names have, have come through it. Formula Ford still still very, very strong, still kicking on. Um, they've also associated themselves with the Road to India in the States, mm-hmm. which I think was a very, very smart move. Um, and the winner of the championship gets a two-day USF 2000 wow. test funded uh, over in the States, which is a really, really good um, opportunity there. So that that's a smart move because Australia is always just eyed towards Europe. Um, I'm not averse to, to eyeing towards the States and mm-hmm. – having kids follow the footsteps of the likes of Will Power. Yes. Formula 3... I see that one as more of a problem because Formula Ford, for yeah. me, has always been a stepping stone formula. Um, it's it's not slicks and wings, but you do learn racecraft. It's your first mm-hmm. step up from karting normally. At least it was traditionally. And I can see that being a dads and lads type of thing. But Formula 3, you know, that is slicks and wings. It's a high downforce car. It's much more downforce than it is power. It is a professional formula, a stepping stone, a CV style formula. And by that, I don't mean constant velocity joints. I mean curriculum vitae for a driver who wants to go on and make not just a single seat career nowadays, Krillzy, but also we see lots of prototype LMP2 and LMP1 drivers coming out of that sort of racing. Yeah, we do. And I mean, Mitch Evans is probably the most famous yep. graduate of Aussie F3, or certainly one of, um, that's gone on internationally. We've had a bunch come through and go to V8 supercars here. Formula 3 has been in a more precarious position, uh, mainly because it's Formula 3 and the cars are fundamentally more expensive mm-hmm. to run than a Ford. Slightly more difficult, though not impossible, it must be said, for a small family team or an owner-driver to run. And, and the championship has worked hard in the last two or three years to encourage that. They implemented a, a control engine, which uh, HWA developed. It's got a, a bigger air restrictor and runs for two seasons without rebuilds to cut some of the costs out. And engines have traditionally been one of the biggest costs Formula 3 have had to deal with, with all the the spending war that goes on with Mercedes and Volkswagen over in um, mm. in the Euro series. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of work into that. It, look, it's struggled for numbers. Traditionally, 12 is, is a good field, a really strong field. Um, it's dipped below 10 a couple of times this year, though, funnily enough, since all this stuff's gone down you know, midway through the year, the fields have perked up and <laughs> we're looking at 12, 13 cars for the next round. Amazing that that would happen after seismic change, that everyone would start getting behind it. I suppose the the argument that both F3 and Formula Ford and the other categories that have been affected in this review have is that if you've got a competitor base that wants to race nationally at a national level on a good program with TV and everything that goes with it, and has the financial weatherall to do so, why should they not be allowed to do that? Mm. And that's probably the big argument that most people don't understand. And and I suppose they feel that with CAMs running Formula 4 themselves, that they've been targeted as going, well, your competition to us, yes. your driver should be in F4, not in F3, not in Formula Ford. So we're going to take a step back. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. No. I'm not... 100% convinced that is what's happened I'm sure they've thought about it because any logical person who's looking after a business would do that find a way to either work with your competition or make sure that they don't mm-hmm. get in your way as you build your championship that's only smart business sense but yes. it's just the way it's been done and, and probably the lack of consultation that's concerned a lot of people yes. over here there'll be a lot of people particularly here in the UK 
will be looking at this and going, do you know what, we should have done something like this years ago in the UK mm. with so many different versions of single-seater championships coming through, whether it was Formula Ford, Formula Vauxhall Lotus, Formula Vauxhall, Formula whatever, B- Formula BMW for a few years we had here, which got ridiculously expensive as a first-time car yeah. racing formula. And then you've had Formula 3, um, you've had Formula Ford 2000 going back through the years. Formula 3's priced itself out of existence. There's two Formula 4 series over there because you've got Jonathan Palmer's Correct. Formula 4 and then the MSA Formula, which runs on the BTCC program. So, I mean, it's ridiculous that you can have two categories that, that should be identical, the, which, which just doesn't make sense. No, and, and there will be, I know, people here who will look at what CAMS have done and said, you know, in a very closed marketplace like Australia... Mm-hmm. That's not the worst thing to do. And I think looking in from the outside, a lot of people might think, what is all the fuss about? So you explaining the machinations of what's been going on behind it. I'm not convinced that there isn't a place for all of them, if I'm honest, because Formula 4 isn't Formula Ford, and it's certainly not Formula 3 either. The other, th- the other big question I would ask is, you said, if if there's a series with the wherewithal to, to go and be national, why shouldn't they be allowed to do it? Was there a package that was would be prepared to take them? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. They they would have continued on. I would have thought with with the the Shannon's National Series. And um, who runs as, them, Creelsey? The F three and the and the Formula Ford. Is it the same people that run them? Is it two separate bodies? Is it commercial no, no, concerns? Two, two separate bodies. The, yep. uh, the the Formula Ford series is run by Formula Ford Association, um, yep. which is made up of every state has a, a state level Formula Ford series in Australia, um, and then they have a national body which oversees the national championship. Formula Three is run privately. Um, there's uh-huh. just not the, the as it was in the UK that yeah exactly but um but it's it, there's no yeah it's basically a not-for-profit in yeah. essence there's no money to be made he, in it they just want to grow wings flicks racing in Australia here's a, a radical idea that all the state formula Ford associations have their own championships and coordinate their their meetings so that they don't fall over each other through the year and at the end of the year they have a champion of Australia formula Ford festival uh, somewhere <laughs> Just a well, thought. Yeah, part of the review was that CAMS will promote a festival much in the same way that nah. the UK does at Brand. So that that is part of it, and, and it was remiss of me to not mention that earlier on um, in the interest of balance. Uh, so there will be a festival, at least proposed, but at the same time, there are 20 competitors, if not more, that are going, well, that's great, but we still want a five or six mm. round national championship irrespective. Um, and that, that's where the argument is. Creelsey, is there anything to stop the Formula Ford Association in Australia from running their state championships and having, um, at the end of the year, seeing we have a Formula Ford Association champion of Australia? And I think that's what everyone's slightly realising over here is that that's what's going to happen, whether people like it or not. Mm. Um, if there's a demand for people to go and race those cars at a national level, they'll find a way. Um, the, the trick is finding a way to do it at a level that the competitors and the sponsors and everyone involved are comfortable with that can deliver the same kind of mm-hmm. um, return for the any sponsors involved and, and kids getting involved to build their profile that you know they want to go out, win Formula Forward and be recognised for being a Formula Ford champion because people recognise that because some of the greats in the sport like a Craig Lowndes in Australia or... Will Davis and Will Power, those guys have raced and won in Formula Ford here and gone on to great things. And certainly some of the young guns in V8s at the moment, Nick Perkap, Chaz Mostert, yep. all came out of Formula Ford three or four years ago. So I, I think 
there's a balance in finding a, either finding a sneaky way of continuing to operate <laughs> or or finding a new way of doing it that can yeah. deliver the, the same kind of return and um, ROI that they're getting at the moment with the TV package and the streaming and everything that else that goes with that program, which is very well run. The Shannon's Nationals is, is a brilliant series. It's well managed. It's very cost effective for what it is and for the package that it delivers. So that's the argument at the moment. And, and Formula 3 is probably a tougher one. But yep. at the same time, if, if you've got 12 or 13 guys that want to go F3 racing, True. then they're going to do it. Then they'll, they'll find a way to do it. And it's just a matter of working out how that happens and what program that happens on. There's no easy answer here, though, Creelsy, is there? And it, and it doesn't sound like any kind of. The rapprochement that we talked about right at the beginning when you first came on between V8 and the Bathurst, the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours, and the sitting around the table and have some kind of discussion, that clearly hasn't quite happened yet, has it? No, no, it hasn't. And the number one thing that has come out of this that everyone goes, oh, I wish they'd done that better, is communicate. Yeah. A lot of people learnt their fate from a press release. Or the the articles that came out on Speed Cafe or Auto Action or any of the motorsport outlets here in Australia that do a great job covering the sport. That's probably the number one thing people are infuriated about, and and you get the feeling that a lot of these people would probably be happy to go with the changes had they been sat down before anything was announced and said, right, look, this is our vision for the sport in Australia. This is what we want to do. This is what we understand. You've got an investment. We understand you've got competitors. Here's how we want to make it work for you while making our structure work. And I'm 100% sure that that could have happened. For whatever reason, that's not what occurred. That's not the way they elected to do it. It's purely their choice. They're the governing body of the sport and they can manage it how they want to manage it. That was the decision they made. The result is that it got the hackles up on a lot of people and they were. there's a lot of angst in the sport at the moment. So there needs to be some form of discussion and, and some way to settle everybody down because the last thing that motor racing needs in Australia is a rebel series or breakaway or yeah. splitting the sport down the scene because no one wins out of that. No. Absolutely no one Agreed. wins. The people that break away don't win and the people that are on the cam side of the fence don't win. No one wins. So they need to avoid that one way or another keep the massive collective group of 500 or so national level races together and find a way to make it work for everyone. I'm sure they can, but then again, what do I know? (laughs) Mate, listen, you've made it a heck of a lot clearer to us here in the UK and our listeners around the world. Where did you say you were off to this weekend and what you're doing? Can we see Uh, it? Is it online? uh, Queensland Raceway, so V8 Supercars. Oh, yes, Uh, yes, it is. Probably not. The week after that, though, uh, so the weekend of, as I check my ridiculously full calendar of motor racing 8th and 9th of august uh, australian time at least is the next round of the shannon's nationals also at queensland race will be live stream all the way around the world and porsches and formula three uh, the sports sedans which i've told you about mm-hmm. it's a 21 year old alfa romeo with a 750 horsepower chev v8 that runs in that that i think you'd quite like uh they will be racing there all of it live stream so uh we'd love for people from uh, over yonder to uh tune in and that's on the Shannon National site, is it? Yes, it is. Okay, mate. Crailsey, thanks very much for joining us at whatever good and godly hour it is uh, over there at the moment. Best to all of our Australian friends. It's been far too long, my friend. Let's get you back on uh, later. I've got a feeling there'll be more to talk about of this. But for the moment, Richard Crail, thank you very much for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Pleasure any time. You mentioned culling uh, 
single junior sing, national single seater mm. championships in this country, John. Mm. But actually, there's very few of them. Well, as I said to Krilzy, there. Uh, in fact, they were just to... the two now. Well, yes, because. Formula 3 priced themselves out the market and as I said I don't think Formula 3 is the problem there I think Formula Ford in Australia which still has a huge presence and still has a you know it's not just doesn't Australia. have any backing from Ford no no of course it doesn't no, and, and neither has it had in this but Formula 4 program. will because they're the engine supplier uh, Ford, as Krilzy's just said, have just withdrawn all their funding from Australian motorsport. They're not even in the top four of manufacturers who support Australian motorsport. Porsche are... They're not in the they're... top four of cars that are sold in Australia anymore. That's the problem. The Porsche Carrera Cup's been demoted as well as Krilzy was saying, so that's not now a top tier series. And Porsche are one of the top... I, I... I think the worst. I think the worst part of this is just the, the lack of communication and finding out that your series has uh, lost its national uh, status via a press release or a, uh, on the internet is, is not probably very good. The other thing is that I I think from what Krilzy was saying there is that Formula Four definitely will still continue and that the state. The National Formula Ford Association and the State Formula Ford Associations will be able to get together. And CAMS are still saying they can have a Formula Ford festival at the end of the year, uh, or they can introduce that, and then you still have a champion of Australia. So there's ways around it. There's, there'll be ways around it. I just think it needs people to be a bit more sensible. Do you want to name some former Australian Formula Ford champions? Uh, Craig Lowndes. Mark uh, Webber. Mark Webber. Uh, Danny Ricciardo. No. No, I don't think he was. He wasn't. Mitch Evans? No, um, I don't think he was. I think he was. Austin, Austin Australia, I don't think Will he was. Will Davis, no. he was. He was. I'm, uh, you can look it up. Will Davis. Ryan Briscoe. I know he's New Zealand. Never. Uh, he probably, though, because that was the other thing. It's not just about Australia. It's about what it does for the region and, and New Zealand as well. A lot of guys go over and do Formula Fords. Paul first. Uh, almost certainly the, and that's why if you hear the, the Mitch Evans interview that, that we did um, for a, a long one with them we talk, you know, when we talk about healing and towing those guys still learn with a gearbox Denny Holm ok you've been silly now it's only been an Australian Formula 4 championship since 1970 ok so let me uh, say Mitch Evans wasn't was he not? no must have been New Zealand Formula Ford. And, ah, I think he might have been Formula 3. In, in, Craig uh, Lowndes was. Yeah. And then Stephen that. Richards, Jason Bright, mm-hmm. um, Garth Tander, yeah. uh, Luke Yuldon, Will Davison, yeah. Jamie Winkup, uh, John what Martin, drivers, Nick Perkat, Chas Mostert. Nick Perkat was mentioned and so was, was, was Chas Mostert. What's Mottet John Martin doing these days? He's, he's doing prototypes for... He stopped the last couple of years. He was very good. He was very good. All right, time for... uh, Is it time for that And then back in the old days, Russell Ingle and Cameron McConville and uh, uh, people like that. Mark Larkham. Terry Perkins. Larry Perkins. There we go. Larry Perkins, 1971 Australian Formula Ford champion. Who was 1970? Who was the first Richard Knight. Whatever happened to Richard Knight? Did he go on to make gearboxes for somebody? Don't know. Larry Perkins, the prize. The prize for Larry Perkins winning in 1971 was to uh, get a season of Formula Ford in Europe. Formula Ford, of course, as Rich was saying, tied in with the road to Indy, and the winner now gets Formula Ford 2000 test in the states and a potential to go forward in Formula Ford on the road to Indy. Who did I see this week? 
uh, got a Formula Ford 2000 test in the States. Um, but, but, someone but, from the UK... But they're going to have the same problem in, in the US because, as, as we were talking about there, Formula 4 has been shoehorned into the States. And it is going to be run by the SCCA. And it's not been integrated into the current system. It's going to sit as a competitor to it. Very quickly, yes. uh, staying in the States, the Armed Forces Foundation yes. has announced that its board of directors have received and accepted the resignation of President Patricia Driscoll. Now, why is that important? Uh, because she's a secret assassin. Oh, she's the girlfriend of Thingy. Kurt Busch, Carl Busch, bad one, Kurt Busch. Make your mind up, which one? Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch. Yes. She's do a former want, former girlfriend. Do they now want to let back into the chase again because he keeps winning races? Yes. Despite um, missing all of those races. Where he was suspended. Foot. And he was suspended for, for... No, it was Carl that had broken foot. Oh, all right, okay. Kurt, was, Kurt was suspended for, for uh, allegations that he'd assaulted Sir... Uh, uh, the covert, covert assassin. Were they proven? No, they were dropped. No, the, court, the court gave a restraining order. The uh, the court uh, decided that there was no evidence and the Department of Justice uh, declined to press any criminal charges. So they can't re. So his suspension from doing his day job was a bit previous then, wasn't it, really? Yes, but he was suspended for bringing uh, stock car racing into disrepute, so. That you could argue that he didn't, and she did. Well, by bringing spurious. And well, now she's she's uh, lost her job as well. So uh, uh, for uh, what goes around comes around the knee. Um, Not that we're making light of uh, any kind of domestic abuse, dear listener. I should say. No, or of mishandling funds when you're the executive director of a charity. Yes. Uh, so moving on. Uh, it's time for this. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. And we're staying with NASCAR. Are we? Yes. Oh, You probably have many to choose. <laughs> no, a lot of their press releases are very useful. Yes. Um, However. This one. Is uh, less of a press release, more of an invitation. Ah. Um, it's not to the, to the uh, race of champions again, is it? No. Uh, this Friday, July 31st, at 9am yes. Eastern Time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, ribbon cutting. Oh, excellent. I do like a bit of boogity, 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 let's go cutting ribbon, boys. It's not very uh, fair for their, uh, their West Coast fans, is it? I mean, no. it's six in the morning. Yes. Um, and and they cutting on the latest Denny's. They're cutting it at uh, Pocono Raceway uh, in the Fanfare Courtyard, which is a new style shopping footprint at the Pocono Raceway. Mm. So they're opening some some concession stands. It's a mall of concession stands, Mm -hmm. but it's a new style courtyard. What's new about it, Tim? It's a courtyard style. Excellent. There's never been a courtyard of shops before. Not in this style, no. No, Is it in a trioval style? Yes. I don't know. Um, So, hang on. I'm still a bit confused about this, because Pocono Raceway isn't exactly attached to a town. Um, So, (laughs) is this open the whole time, or just when the race is? This is just when the race is in town. So, they've basically just got a bit, which they've put on probably some hard standing, possibly might have paved it nicely, Mm -hmm. and they've wheeled in a few of those haulers with 
but you still don't. No, are the, are this, uh, this sounds like this might be um, substantive buildings, does it? No, I think it's a, an erectable facility. Oh, really? Yes. I'm pleased you said that. Uh, well, there was one driver sponsored by Viagra at one point. Yeah. Do we know who's Mark going Mark. to be? It was Mark Martin. Do we know who's I going to be cutting the? Or can you guess who's going to be cutting the ribbon? Dan uh, Patrick. Mark Martin. No. Uh, Is it one of the France family? Is it a France family? No, there's no Frances involved. Dale Earnhardt? No. Dale Earnhardt would be quite hard. I'll give you some clues. No. Junior's no longer junior because there isn't a senior. Yeah, but hang on. That's not how it works. Stop arguing about who's still alive. You stay junior, don't you? If you name the reigning Pocono... Winner. Tony Jeff, Stewart. Jeff, Jeff Gordon. If you say Martin Truex Jr. Martin, Martin Truex Jr. Jr. And 2014 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series champion. Oh, come on. It was only nine months ago. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson? is <laughs> the wrong answer. It's a good guess, but wrong. Uh, Bobby Labonte. Kevin Harvick. <laughs> Kevin Harvick. Oh, yeah, Kevin. Kevin Harvick. Look, if they, if they wanted to know, they shouldn't have stuck it on Premier, which is an extra premium channel for SD at the end of the, the sport. Leave it on Sky. HD, no. Is it? Well, leave yeah. it on Sky and know what's going on. Uh, yeah, they went HD in time for the last My weekend. My eyes never been the same since it went over there. <laughs> Uh, so there we go. Uh, if you want to go, uh, no then you've to got go. to uh, RSVP by uh, five PM Thursday, and there'll also be photo opportunities with uh, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Ross Tannenbaum, who is the president of Fanatics Retail, who are organising this. It's Great. a shop, isn't it? It's a shop. They've yeah. opened some shops. Yeah, lovely. Some shop, an area that some shops may be in. Uh, and that's about all we've got time it for. It is. Uh, back at the normal time next week, uh, when we'll have more of this nonsense, and uh, we'll bring you some more news about Ferraris or not. Maybe. Uh, my <laughs> thanks to the responsible adult for great food tonight, Nick Damon for turning up here, and yep. to our guests, Richard Creel, still don't know what time it was with him, and Marshall Pruitt, who's dashed off somewhere, which he couldn't tell us about. It normally means when he says he's got to go, that he's having a really important phone call with someone. Our executive producer, as ever, was Tim Gray up in London. I'm John Hindoff. That was Series 10, Episode 29. And that will be very important next year, apparently. We may find that out next week. <laughs> no time to explain. The Lamas is as confused as we are. <laughs> this programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.